bro. My pops asked me, I think he asked, he asked, he asked my wife. He asked my wife, like, he was like, yo, when's he going to get a job? I'm like, dad, have you got bro, listen, <laughs> I, got, I got four jobs, bro. Hey there, you're listening to the season finale of the Passport season of the New Exchange podcast. Well, part one of the finale, but but I'll get to that later. First, I want to go into the why of this season and how unexpectedly fulfilling it's been to share it with you these last few months. So yeah, this has been the sixth season of the podcast, and seriously, saying that is always a mad thing to me. The idea for this season came to my mind about two years ago. And the original why was simply to do something different. I think it's so crucial to shake things up when you're doing something creative. Hell, a lot of my favorite albums by artists are the ones where they sound absurdly different than anything they've done before. But again, this is about the why, and in a weird turn of events, the why of the season manifested itself as I was working on it. That why harkens back to why I love traveling and why I've loved it for years. The fact that traveling reminds you that the world is bigger than your immediate surroundings. It's something that I feel we all forgot about these last few years because of the pandemic. Even in the times we got to travel, the majority of our lives got reduced to the same five block radiuses in our neighborhoods. And yeah, just, it's such a weird thing to even think about. Getting to talk to all these people from all these different countries, getting to both reconnect with old friends and also talk to people who are completely new to me, It just reminded me of what life is all about. And this is why the season finale had to be about Ireland, a country I consider to be my home. For years, I've always said it's my second home, but as time has gone on, I can honestly say that the feeling of home is something I only feel whenever I'm back in Ireland. The reasons are numerous, but it all goes back to the people, both the people I've known for years and again, the new strangers I meet with each visit. Irish people have this striking quality of making everyone feel welcome for going out of their way to embrace anyone and everyone who makes the trek to their island. It's a country with a deeply fraught history, but has come out the other side and is constantly attempting to move forward. Musically, it's home to some of the most talented artists on earth, and though that's subjective, I'd argue it as a fucking fact. Ireland is home to artists who put it on the line in terms of vision, in terms of outpouring of emotions. It's just unbelievable what the artists there are capable of. What unifies all these artists is how every act embodies how Ireland is a small but mighty country. In terms of this episode you're about to hear, the overall approach for me evolved within its creation. I felt like if I was to do Ireland justice, I'd have to challenge myself as well, and that's how the guest selection for this one happened. Where rather than I talk to the usual acts that I'm friends with, it was important for me to talk to people who are new to me and also people who are showcasing the diversity of creativity across Ireland. So the end result are a talk with two friends I haven't talked to in ages, and two artists who are completely new to me. And yeah, man, again, making this season has just been so therapeutic for me. And again, it's just such a privilege getting to share this art with you. Seriously, massive thanks for giving this a listen. I cannot wait for you to hear this. Before we get into the talks, I did mention that this is part one of two, and what I meant by that 
is that next week we'll see the release of the companion episode to this one. If you're unfamiliar, the companion episodes is something we've been doing all season, and basically there are these playlists I've constructed in the form of a radio show. Each show features music from the country we've discussed, and man, the next one is a fucking mammoth, full of Irish artists that I love so fucking much. And yeah, definitely make sure to check that out when it drops. It's a special one and will be out only on Spotify. Okay, I have blabbed for way too fucking much. Let's get into the crack of this episode, eh? The first chat I have for you is with an old friend of mine from Dublin, and fuck does it bring me so much joy to welcome Sorka Richardson to the podcast. Sorka is a ridiculously talented singer-songwriter that perpetually stuns me with her abilities. When it comes to her music, she's figured out a way to infuse humor and candor into these songs that are highly personable. She's also grown as a performer, and that boost of energy can be heard all across her second album, Smiling Like an Idiot. I met Sorka ages ago when she was living here in New York. I remember we bonded over the XX and a shared love of Ireland's musical history. Since moving back to Ireland, Sorka's been adding to that legacy of Irish artists, showing what a special place the country is. From supporting our mutual friend James Vincent McMurrow, to selling out her own shows all across the US and Europe. The chat you're about to hear is a beautiful mixture, really, where we chat about the music she's made and how being back in Ireland has directly influenced her artistry. One more thing, Sorka will be touring the States this autumn, starting on October 15th at Union Stage in Washington, D.C. I'll definitely be at the October 18th show at Elsewhere in Brooklyn. I hope to see you there. All right, let's get into it, shall we? It has been an absurdly long time. How are you getting on today? Good. Very rainy here in Dublin. Uh, oh, okay. So, a... like normal? No, yeah. I mean, we're having a particularly <laughs> rainy July. So, um, but that's okay. I'm tr- attempting to work on some new music. So, kind of that, that actually helps. Does the rain help in that? Well, it just stops me going outside. <laughs> yeah. There's fewer distractions, you know, it makes, makes it kind of easier to stay in and just forget about you know the world yeah you know like when i thought about um how we should start this right it hit me that we've never had a chat about like how life has transformed for you over the years like since leaving new york because yeah we met while you were living here and i remember you going back to ireland with something at the time uh you felt like at odds about and when you reflect on that time i wonder do you feel like there was a big contrast between what you expected you were going to experience and then what you actually did experience when it came to like moving back. Yeah, definitely. I think the last time we did an interview, it was, it was like the week that I was leaving New York. And so lots of things were in flux. (laughs) Um, I didn't really know what the next little while was going to hold for me. Like I I knew I was, my, my plan was to go back, was to come back to Dublin and, not necessarily stay here but you know when like you're when when you're not really sure what you're doing next the easiest thing to do always is to go home and to kind of regroup and take a minute to just kind of reassess um but I I don't think I was particularly excited about it if I remember like I did you were not yeah (laughs) I I definitely think I was leaving New York I I felt this very strange I had a strange feeling leaving New York because I was kind of ready to leave New York but I also had this feeling that like leaving New York having not done lots of things that I imagined I would have done when I moved there when I was 18 it felt a little bit like 
a bitter pill to swallow or something. I, it was kind of confronting in a way. I felt a little like I was leaving with my tail between my legs slightly. Um, and then and then I came home and I honestly I did not want to be here. I guess once I was here for a month, I was like, okay, I'm ready to I'm ready to go again. But that wasn't really an option for me at the time. So yeah, I think like the first year that I was back home, I was I was not <laughs> I was not particularly happy to be here. But I don't know. I, I don't know what happened. I think over the course of like maybe coming to the end of that year and I sort of accepted that I was actually going to be in Ireland for a little while and I spent a while just like I would go to LA for like a month to kind of distract myself and uh I was I was not really um I hadn't really accepted the idea that I was going to be here so I, I was kind of checked out a little bit and then once I kind of made the decision in my head to to be here and to stay here for a while like my experience of the cha- the place completely changed and now I feel like leaving New York was one of the best things I I ever did <laughs> in a way um I absolutely love being back in Ireland I love it and I think it was really really good for me but it took me a while to to kind of to realize that for myself yeah I, I feel like what you were feeling at the time and it's something I've been susceptible to even though I mostly like grew up like you know in the surrounding area and then like you know went to school and did everything here I think like personally for me I hate that whole adage of like if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Because I think what ends up happening with that in the context of New York specifically is that it kind of has people's brains siloed into just working in particular ways or operating in particular ways. And I remember like back then, something we talked about, and you were really beautifully candid about it, was like about how it's very easy to get kind of um, stuck in the motions of things in Ireland, at least at the time. But I think what's been beautiful, and I've, I'm really proud of you for this, I have to say, like, Obviously, we're going to talk about a lot of things, but I'm really proud of the fact that you've gone back home and in the context of these albums you've put out, you've been able to reach outward. And I know, yeah, yeah, the pride I have for you in that is like knowing how back then that was important. And clearly that's important to you now. And like, you're fucking doing it. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. I mean, I think, um, I don't know, I, I feel like I I always sort of found when I was in New York, I found it kind of hard to um to really find a solid kind of music scene. And I know there are people who will disagree with me about that. But for me, like I, it was something I was really looking for for such a long time. And and people, I guess it's the, the nature of New York, like it's a very transient place. So people are always coming and going. And I often found that like I'd sort of find myself within a community and then over the course of a year or two, like half the people would have left because mostly because they couldn't afford to be in New York anymore, you know, doing creative things. And so I don't know, I, I feel like I, I, that is something that I I wanted and I never really think I've, I've found in New York. And then I moved back home to, to Ireland and there was this like really, really vibrant scene here. Um, and there was such a community and it just, I found it easier to, I don't know, I found it easier to get a bit of a footing. And um, like I was playing, I was recording all the time in, in New York and I was playing a good few shows and stuff, but it would have, I don't know, once I moved home, I feel like I was able to like go on longer tours because it was, 
honestly it was just like logistically easier to do that from from Dublin you know it was you could tour Ireland and the drives are so short that like you can do you know five or six shows in a week and it doesn't cost you a fortune and you can tour Europe kind of easily and you can get over to the UK and play shows and it just I there was a way to navigate it from here that actually felt much easier to me than than I could figure out when I was in New York yeah well if it helps you at all in terms of like feeling a bit you know good about what you said I mean I've been here since 2008 so it's I'm pretty sure it's 15 years or close to it and it's like what you just described is funnily enough what made me fall in love with Ireland all those years ago way back in like 2009 2010 because it was exactly that where it's like I felt that way back then and I feel that way now how there's it's difficult to find community and scenes here in New York and I think beyond the transient nature there's that element of like it kind of feeling weirdly competitive at times, which I, I know there's like a healthiness to it somewhat, but I remember when I was like 18, 19, just finding that so weird. And then I remember like something I always point out to people is like how crazy it was going to Belfast, for example, and he, seeing situations where acts were playing a show and then someone needed an amp like halfway across the city and someone would actually bring <laughs> the amp over and like, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that would happen here in New York now, but I know back then when I first came here, that would never have happened. And I remember just really falling in love with Ireland because of that. I mean, yeah, I, 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 it really struck me when I came home because I was like, there's, everyone is so supportive of each other. Everybody goes to each other's shows. There's like so many people to, you know, some, some of my other like favorite Irish artists are people who are like, I'll, I'll send my stuff to, you know, if I'm, or like, I'll, I'll write with them a little bit or. It's kind of just, it's such a weird career to navigate as well that it's really good, at least I think for me to be able to have other people who do it like who are doing it at a similar level to me and everyone can kind of sort of check in with each other and be like, isn't this weird? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's because I found that as well in New York is like lots of my friends who were there were not doing jobs that were in any way similar to mine. And so sometimes I found that a little bit lonely or something um it's just not yeah it's nice to have other people in your community who do what you do and understand what your day-to-day -day looks like and the highs and lows of it and all of that yeah well that's something I was really keen to chat with you about as well because I remember something that you really loved when you were here was like anytime you came across someone like me or someone else who was like particularly into Irish music it was kind of like a thing of like like pride is the closest thing I could think of in relation to that in the context of like, oh, look at how the music from my country reaches outward. And I guess I've been curious, like, can you speak about how being back in Ireland has inspired you creatively just by being around other musicians? Because I imagine that's played a big role as well. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I think it's like it. I just think this 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 standard and like obviously it's a huge tradition in Ireland, you know, of like incredible songwriting and storytelling and all of that. And I think the 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 standard of, of music or at least, yeah, coming out of Ireland at the minute is kind of at an all time high. So in a way I, I moved home at a very good time for the Irish music scene, I think. And it's just kind of, I don't know, it, it, especially when you're, when it's, a, you know, it's a place that you're from and it's where you grew up and, you know, there's people around you who are all, you know, who who are touring in the States and they're, you know, I just watched Lisa O'Neill's NPR Tiny Desk last night, which is amazing. And it's so cool. There's so many people who are doing like 
my, what I do is not like in any way particularly traditional, but there's people, there's people, you know, like Lancome and like Lisa who are doing more traditional Irish music stuff, or it's more, more rooted in the, in the tradition. And that is, it's amazing to see that have such an audience um, outside of Ireland as well, I think. Um, but I mean, I just, I've always been someone who just, I write not exclusively, but mostly about my life. And so wherever I am informs that obviously <laughs> a lot. So if I, you know, when I wrote most of my first album when I lived in New York, so there's loads of references to New York. There's lots of references to LA and places like that. And then this setting for my second album for the most part is Dublin and other places in Ireland. And even like I had, you know, my Irish band who I play with, they 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 were the band who played on my second album and we recorded it at a studio in Dublin and yeah I think it's all it all just in, informs it in a big way yeah I, I feel like in relation to like what you were just talking about right it's um so indicative about like how that solidarity in Ireland kind of breeds this collaborative spirit and like I remembered back in 2020 how you collabed with you know, our mutual friends, James Vincent McMurrow, Denise Chilo, and I love your bandmates, Joe oh, yeah. and Theodora. I mean, I feel like those relationships and friendships have become so important to you. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, especially like, I'm such good friends with all my bandmates and that's, um, they are the best. And also like, it's, you, you, you spend so much time in each other's company for such a long period of time. You're very rarely on your own when you're on tour. And so it's like almost just as important as like how good everybody is. And they're all incredible musicians, but like you just need to have people who are who you can spend like 18 hours of a day every day for like three weeks with them and not want to kill each other <laughs> at the end of day two. Um, but James is James is someone who's been hugely supportive of me for, for a long time. Like we're, we have the same management, so we're kind of, you know, we I think there's some kind of loyalty there as well. Um, but like James, we've worked on some music together. I've had the chance to open for James um a couple of times as well. Um and it it just yeah, it's 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 really nice to have those relationships with people, you know, to to feel supported. And James is someone who I'll often I'll, I'll send him music sometimes when I'm working on it. And sometimes he ends up working on it, sometimes he doesn't, but he's a good he's a good sounding board as well. Yeah, I appreciate him so much. Like I met him the first time I ever came to New York, I think it was 2011 wow. or something like that, or 10. And seeing how he's grown as an artist, like, uh, I just love people who are able to speak their mind, arguably, maybe at times, or maybe they're doing it too much. But I think he, like, I just appreciate how he's able to do that, because it shows how he's, like, so about the art, you know? Totally. And he's so prolific. Like, I don't know how he makes as much music as he does. Um, I always try to remind myself not to, like, not to compare myself to James's output because it would, it would, <laughs> I would feel so slow. Um, but yeah, he's a real, a real talent is Mr. JVM. Yeah. You know, something I was curious about, because one of the bands I've grown to love a lot uh, over the past few years has been uh, Soda Blonde. Have you interacted with them much? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Faye, um, Faye from Soda Blonde, who's, who's the singer, she, uh, she came to a writing camp that I did for my from my last album actually and she she co-wrote one of the songs actually the opening track on on smiling like an idiot they oh, yeah. is a writer on that one yeah oh fuck okay there's she's so good oh my I god love her. yeah what an incredible singer as well she's amazing yeah I, and i feel like they're such an interesting case and 
I don't know if Faye and them would like, you know, take this on, but I think something that's so special about them as a band is that they have this like sense of identity, but it feels so true and like human and unpretentious. And I feel like there's something weirdly Irish about it. It's hard for me to pin down what that is, but like, I think it's interesting how they're like such a cool looking band, but at the same time, you can feel the humanity off them as well. Like. I think they do loads of their stuff themselves as well. I think they self-produce and they they do, they like shoot their own music videos and they, or they certainly have in the past. I think they're very, very self-sufficient, which is, which is super cool. And I think they're, they have a new album coming out. Yeah. I'm so keen to hear it. Cause that first one Me is too. so fucking fantastic. First one's yeah. They're so good. Yeah. Um, a big reason I wanted to have you on this one. You've, yeah. And I'm sure like you were told obviously, but like, you know, the episode you're going to be part of is like touching about Ireland specifically and what makes Ireland special. And I mean, there's so many things, but like, and I know I've talked to you about this before, but it's been a while. Like, it has meant so much to me in my life, the way I felt embraced by your country over the years, because, yeah, I definitely think it's the thing that's the dearest to my heart. Would you believe I've found myself saying to people that like, if they like anything about me, Ireland probably has as much to do with it as like America and New York does. <laughs> you know, one of the things I want to bring up to you, especially with you having been there for a while, is that like, for me as an outsider, I have learned about like, you know, a bit about Irish history and a bit about, you know, the social stuff going on. But I think it's really massive how so much change has happened in the country over the years, just in like the last five, six years. And mostly like, you know, socially and politically. Totally. Yeah, I bring all that up because I wonder how has it been for you to witness that? Because it's kind of, if you think about when you went back, you went back at a time where just all these big changes were happening. Yeah, I moved back in July 2017. I'm trying to remember where that falls. Um, but obviously in like recent, in the last couple of years, we had the same-sex marriage referendum. And the... um the abortion referendum um i think it's just like maybe i don't know i mean there's so much you could say but it's it's like there's a an ireland an older ireland or or maybe an idea of ireland that i think doesn't really feel as as relevant any anymore and i think you know those things were passed so overwhelmingly here um you know they were more more so than I think people expected and um it kind I don't know it's just sort of encouraging when you realize that like you know our, the our, the, pe- the majority of people in 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 Ireland you know are share your social values um and I think Ireland is is much more progressive country than it than it was and much more open-minded and a much more tolerant place and you know when you see some other countries around the world who are kind of going in the opposite direction, it's, yeah, it feels like a nice, a better, <laughs> it's, it was kind of, it's just, it just, it kind of makes you you proud, you know, to be Irish. And there's obviously lots of work to still do with, with many different things, but like, at, at least we're going in the right, in the right direction. And you can, you know, that's what the Irish people sort of voted for and stood up and said, you know, this matters to me. And I think that's something we can be very proud of. I I massively agree with that. And, you know, if I try to think about what I think has been such a specific um, inflection point, like when I think about the conversations I've had with people 
And I'd be curious to see if this kind of correlates to how you feel and what you think. I feel like so much of like why Ireland is in that place now is that just the sheer ability to have certain conversations right now, or like in the last few years, the years back, people would even be open to have those conversations or feel like they're able to. And it's like, it's kind of massive and wild to think that just the ability to share ideas in itself could be so important. Yeah, totally. I, I think as well, like our political system here isn't as polarized as it is in in certain places. So maybe lots of these ideas, you know, don't feel as binary, I think, in a way as they might do in America. Um, and so, I mean, Ireland is such a small country as well. So it, it's kind of necessary that we have some a, a level of, of tolerance for, you know, for each other. And um, I also, yeah, it's just, you know, there's so there's so much that you could say about it, but um, there's all there's so many organizations as well around the country who've done an enormous amount of work and continue to do enormous amount of work um with causes like that, you know. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna hop back to the music real quick because you know it's interesting. Your debut album, First Prize, Bravery, came out in 2019, but it's kind of fascinating how it had a bit of a second life throughout 2020, um, with people finding it during those lockdown months. I meant to DM this to you, but I didn't get a chance to um, like ages ago. But, you know, during those lockdown months, there wasn't many, the early ones, right? Mm. There wasn't many instances where I even wanted to listen to music or that I was like seeking it out. But your album was like one of the few ones that I did that I would listen to. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's very nice to hear. I did. It was funny because it came out in November 2019. So right at the end of 2019. And then I think I did. I did like a handful of shows in Ireland, maybe honestly, like maybe four, four headline shows in Ireland. And then I think we we did a 10 dates in the UK right at the end of February 2020. And then obviously that was it. So it's funny because it felt like it didn't really get to give that album, you know, the kind of in a way, like the chance that I would have liked to to tour it properly and to go promote it properly and all of that. But at the same time, so many people seem to discover it over lockdown and like that you know said that it was a real soundtrack for them during that time and so I don't know (laughs) it's it kind of it still seems to have found its way to people who who needed to find it well that's the thing I wanted to explore with you and like I know it might be difficult but we can like uh like something that you hear people say sometimes on podcasts is like feelings no facts like you, know, you can talk about your feelings <laughs> instead of the facts so yeah. in th- so in this particular context of what we just said like like how does that make you feel like knowing that like people are finding the music at that time a time you could have th- thought about like when people say that to you how has it made you feel how has that made me feel it's something that i it, it's 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 a funny thing because like once you release it i sort of like you have you have to believe that like the songs will have a life beyond you know when you release them beyond the release week or beyond the release month and when all the press dies down and they stop being played on the radio you like you you kind of want the album to continue to exist <laughs> somewhere and i feel like that's kind of what happened with that album is like it was just lots of people who found it kind of organically and that kind of gave it this new lifeline or something so I don't know, it just, it's, it's a really, really 
kind of encouraging thing to hear. I sometimes don't know how to, I don't know how to, how to like process that sometimes. So, you know, I, I can't fully like comprehend it. Even when you tell me that, like, it, you, you, you know, you, you were listening to it in lockdown. I still, I can't, I don't know why I can't like, can't, I can't fully comprehend the idea of that or something. Maybe that's like uh, one of those, I mean, I love science fiction films. Maybe that's like one of those paradox where if you understood how it happened, you wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think so. Especially because like the, the writing and recording process for me is so incredibly private. And like, I don't involve that many people in it. And I like, for example, with that first album, like the album was done for months and I didn't show it to anybody. Um, I didn't show it like I didn't show it to my friends. I had it mixed and mastered and I just was like, everybody kept asking me to hear it. And I was like, no, <laughs> I didn't. I, I don't know why I just I needed it to like. For it to exist for me and the people who who I'd made it with. I think I just wasn't ready for like other people's opinions of it to affect how I felt about it, even if they were like overwhelmingly positive. You know, I just I wanted to feel really good about it without needing like my friends to tell me that they thought it was cool. And now we arrive at your latest album, Smiling Like an Idiot. Um, unbelievable title, by the way. I mean, Thank you. <laughs> I, I wonder if this means anything to you in relation to that. Um, like, I, I'm being dead serious. I promise I'm not bullshitting you. But anytime I've been like in love with someone in the last few years, and I've like had to like describe it to my friend. That's actually been like a term that I've used where I'll tell my friends like, <laughs> I feel like I'm smiling like an idiot at the thought of this person. Is that correlate at all to like what made you want to title that? Is that similar? Completely. Like um, that's something that my girlfriend said to me one day, she, like kind of, you know, in jest. She was like <laughs> that very thing. She was like, sir, you're smiling like an idiot. <laughs> And I, I remember laughing and I was like, and I think I wrote it in my phone. And then I, I, I actually, I don't know that I've ever, I know lots of people do this, but I, I never, ever write songs to titles. Like I always title a song at the end. Some people are like, this would be a great title for a song. And I never do that except for Smiling Like an Idiot. So with that one, I was like, that's actually a great song title. And then I, I put it in my notes on my phone and kept it there for ages. But then once I had it, I was like, actually, that would just be a great album title um and the songs it kind of the the themes of the album felt like they they fit so um yeah that's that's pretty much it <laughs> i mean this kind of echoes like how we even started the talk but i'm so glad we've arrived to this bit because like like mate it's insane this level of attention that the album's been getting and the shows that are ahead of you like i mean the shows that you're having yeah. the states alone like those are rooms I feel so much for you because you're about to play rooms that we probably would have talked about like all those years ago, you know, and it's insane. It's, it's really something else. And, um, you know, it's been also nearly a year since the release. And I, I personally, when it comes to talking to artists, I always find it more interesting and important to have distance from, from a work, from the release to like it existing. So that way you can like, you know, take it in and really take stock. When you reflect on it, like, how do you feel about the making and releasing of the album? Like, what do you think it's kind of taught you about yourself now that it's been out for a while? God, um, <laughs> that's a very good question. 
Um, I mean, we're, we're talking on a Sunday, so I was like, I should hit her with the NPR question. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like, I guess, as, especially right now, because I'm sort of not, I'm not quite making another album, but I am making, I'm, I'm writing new songs again and stuff. And it always just reminds me how, how difficult it is to, to get to the point where you've made, like making an album. I just, sometimes I just can't. <laughs> I can't believe that I've been able to make two that I feel good about because it just requires such an enormous amount of work and so much perseverance and patience and like faith in the process. Um, but I don't know. I, f- I feel like that was an album where I like me and, and Alex, who was the main producer on the album. It was kind of one we had like we had a lot of fun making it and we. We said yes to a lot of things that I think on the first album like I feel like on the first album I was like scared of getting it wrong or something I was much I I felt a bit more cagey about some of the like you know about making certain decisions and I really really looked to Alex um Alex had made albums before he'd made albums like with his band and stuff so I think I, I I I let him guide a lot more of the process. Um, And then on the second album, I think, I don't know, I think the two of us had a sort of confidence because we'd done it before and it just felt a little, a little freer or something. And then like even the the week of the release, like was probably one of the most fun weeks I've ever had in my life. Me and three of my friends rented a camper van and we drove around Ireland and we did like these little pop-up shows in like bookshops and, where did we go? Bookshops and cafes and pubs and stuff around the country and sold as many <laughs> copies as we could. Oh my god. Um Th- that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of just uh there was a I don't know, we made a decision to like focus on celebrating the achievement of releasing an album and not just, you know, for it to, the clock to strike midnight on Friday and then just let, like, like there'd be like a, a couple days of like excitement and then you're like right now you know it can be very anticlimactic releasing albums I think yeah well I was gonna say because something that really struck me while I was listening to you say that just there is that like you know maybe this wasn't the direct intent or the direct correlation but like talk I mean one talk about something that most people don't do anymore like something like that but also the aspect of just like you know going pretty much like you know creating these very physical experiences, these very tangible experiences. It's like practically the antithesis of like how we had to live the last few years. It's like the exact opposite. I don't know if it was a reaction as well to like to the first album <laughs> um, and how that one felt like the life of, in a way the, the like the life of it was kind of short because of because we couldn't tour and do the shows that we were supposed to play and all of that. But yeah, it was kind of just an excuse to like to go out and like every day we drove we drove to somewhere else. We were like we started in Dublin and then we went to Wexford and Galway and um and we went to Dingle and we went to wow I actually can't even remember. We went to Clare. We we went we did loads of them and we went to Cork. It just it I kind of put it in in the real world in a way like sometimes. I don't know, sometimes so much of it feels like it's happening around you and you're, in a way, you're not part of it. <laughs> once you once you put it out and that sort of allowed me and like lots of the people who had either 
being supporting me for a long time or or being part of it in some kind of way like it it allowed everybody to celebrate it in a way that was very fun and I don't know I, I think everyone should do it's just it's like it's it takes such an enormous amount of work to, to get there with and it requires so much help from so many people and it's so busy that it's easy for it to kind of pass you by in a way but I think yeah like I'm like can we do that again <laughs> next time um it was it was so much fun I had such a great week that's so amazing well like, well before we go yeah um tell me when you're away from Ireland especially can you consider you were in the states just a couple months ago like when you're away from Ireland like what do you find yourself missing the most I mean I definitely miss my girlfriend <laughs> she'll be so embarrassed if I said that I don't know like I miss um I miss the sea because where I live is very close to the sea and you know sometimes you're when you're on tour you don't see the sea for a couple of weeks depending on where you are so yeah I miss the sea I would say just knowing that it's there is is very very good for my head thanks yeah like this is really this is really <laughs> fucking sweet yeah? thank you Ken it's good to chat again after yeah. all these years I know right big ups to Sorco for joining me there Know what? It just hit me that I forgot to mention that I'll actually be back in Ireland myself this coming Christmas. I cannot wait. I seriously can't. I'll mostly be in Belfast, but I'm aiming to get around a fair bit. And yeah, it's going to be such a beautiful time for sure. The next chat I have for you is one that's been long in the making. And that energy is something you could feel all throughout the talk, which is something that I love so fucking much. Say hello to my guy Munya, aka God Knows. He's a rapper, writer, mentor, and co-founder of Narrowlane, an independent record label based in Limerick that's recontextualizing what it means to be independent. But more on that last part later. For now, I want to take a sec and tell you about my man, okay? Munya's family originally hailed from Zimbabwe, and he's spent the majority of his life in Ireland, across Shannon and Limerick City. Something that became tangibly apparent while talking to him was how, even though we've lived these different lives, there's still so much we can relate to in terms of our life journeys. We're at the very center of what drives us is a desire to create and work with people we believe in, people we respect and feel inspired by. For Munya, this is what led him to winning the Choice Music Prize in 2017 with the Rusagano family, a pioneering hip hop group in Ireland, along with mentoring a star in Ireland, Denise Chyla, who's also appeared on this very series. Last year, he released an EP called We Move the Needle, which was an exploration of what artists are capable of in Ireland. How there really are no barriers, no limitations to what could be crafted across the island. That's a major chunk of what we discuss across our segment, along with how his history and music has fostered this sense of responsibility that Munya feels for those coming behind him. Oh, and hey, if you're in Ireland, you'll get a chance to catch my guy live on November 17th, He'll be announcing the details soon on all socials, so be sure to follow him at GodKnowsMC on Instagram. Trust. My God, it's a gift getting to finally have this chat with you. We've known each other because of what you've been building with uh, Narrowlane, and we're going to obviously chat about that. But before we do, we need to go back to the start. Like, I don't think I even know. Like, how did you get started in music? How did I get started in music? Um, so my story is actually Jesus, bro. I'm like, where do we start? 
moved to Ireland, moved to Ireland when I was nine. Um, so, you know, the first nine years of my life, I was in Zimbabwe. Um, and for me, music has always been in my family. Um, my dad tells me all the time that my grandfather played the guitar. Uh, but then my mom, on my mom's side, uh, my uncle was actually, he's an icon in Zimbabwe in terms of music. Uh, he was, um, you know, his track spent 13 weeks at number one. So uh, he, when he was having his run, his big run in music in Zimbabwe, that's when, you know, I was from the time I was, so from the time before I was born to all of the time that I basically spent time in Africa, my uncle was huge uh, in terms of music. So you can imagine I saw my uncle on TV like every Thursday on top of the charts. So all of my favorite songs, plus my uncle's songs and, you know, uh, hearing about all the tour stories and, you know, whenever he would come to visit, like the whole, and, and we lived like in, where you can say the estates or uh, projects of, of Zimbabwe. So you can imagine like, you know, how people love their own, like, and, and he's from there. So like, it will get mobbed. Um, so for me, I always felt like the possibility of, succeeding in music was always going to be a thing so by the time that I reached Ireland um I I was already in love with music you know anything got to do with music I was on it that was something that was just something I wanted to be a part of so uh, I would gather my friends like all my friends after a while depended on me to be the plug for all the new music or you know anywhere that you could come and, and play loud music and and actually you know, in a sense, invest into that because I was already invested. So from the time I was nine until I, I got good at music, I didn't get good until about like 16, 17. That's when I got good. But prior to that, like I was giving it everything I had. Uh, and, and my friends, you know, interchangeably were all with me. And then, yeah, in 2008, that's when I met Merle when I was 18. And then, yeah, from there, like, we just literally were very, very serious about it. Um, yeah, so that's what I would say will be the beginning of my journey. Wow. Uh, something that I think is so strikingly profound in that, and I always feel like it's so important to point this out when it's, like, presented, is that, like, a lot of the times for people, there's this very active kind of choice, an active decision to have it split between being something that is enjoyed casually into something that you know, for lack of better phrasing, something that's like professional or like um, an endeavor. But I guess in the way you're describing, and this is why it's very significant, it's like those roads are always kind of converged because of your youth. That's really fascinating, huh? Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like for me, it's like, yeah, music has been everything. Music has been at the center point of my life, my whole life. I was that kid that back then would have gone viral for, for dancing on top of the table and everyone gathered and were like yo look at you know look at this kid he knows all the songs and you know I, I was you know one of them kids I was already like I think in a way my, my parents already could see it because that's like if they needed to go somewhere for a long time they'll just put the VHS tape with all of the music they might put like you know I remember them they would leave like I don't know the like uh, the MTV music video I watched from 1989 they would leave that on and then they'll leave because they'll they'll know that I was enthralled with, you know, all of I, I could probably tell you who was in the categories of that time because that's that's what my parents used to leave behind, knowing that yeah, if you put if you put music, he's not gonna leave, you know. 
Yeah, when you I, I read how when you went from um Zimbabwe, I think you lot first ended up in Shannon. How old were you when that happened? Do you remember? So yeah, so moved to Sheffield when I was nine, and then when I was eleven, that's when we we arrived in Shannon. So my dad got a job in um in aerospace uh in Shannon, um, which he he's still in in terms of um still works in aviation to this day. So we landed in Shannon. That's why we were in Shannon. Because it's so random that we we landed in 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 such a specific place. But yeah, I'm I'm glad anyway. Is your is your dad an engineer? He's an engineer, yeah, that's right, bro. Africans, man. Africans. Yeah, that's right, bro. Yeah. My parents, my parents to this day try to say, like, hey, what do you think would be an engineer? I'm like, yeah, I think that ship sailed, you know? Like I think Yeah. Bro, my pops asked me. I think he asked, he, asked, he asked my wife. He asked my wife, like, he was like, yo, when's he going to get a job? I'm like, dad, have you like, bro, listen, <laughs> I, got, I got four jobs, bro. <laughs> for, people listening, for people listening, by the way, we're going to talk about it later on, but I just want to point out, your dad said that, I love how your dad said that after you've performed for the president, like, two times. That's so funny. Oh, no, no. You know what? The president was, like, a great revelation. He ain't asked. He ain't asked about no job since. Uh, okay, <laughs> I think okay. all, I do, all I needed to do was perform for the president. Because you know what? <laughs> After that, it's different. It's different now. Both my parents. But, you know what? That was one of the. We can talk about it now. And then actually, yeah, that's like unbelievable. Like. Yeah, no. Um, the president is is an awesome human being uh, in terms of what um, he's just someone who believes in the arts anyway. So, um, it is. It's a, it's a privilege to be able to uh, perform at his garden party, to be invited to do it again, because I had done it before with Rusangano, so this was my second time, actually. So this time around, I actually thought the best thing I could do was invite my parents, because the first time around, you know, we were so privileged and so honored. We didn't want to invite anybody. We were so exclusive with how we did everything. But this time around, I was like, look, you know what? The first time maybe was I got all the nerves out. This time around, I'm gonna have fun with it. Like I brought my parents and my wife and, and, and my auntie, who's been like my biggest supporter in, in terms of music. So I was just like, you know what, let me bring them along because they would appreciate it. They will appreciate it way more than I will now. And it, they will actually remind me that this is a privilege. Because sometimes when we do music, you know, we forget, especially because, you know, I work with, you know, my brother Merley, like, you know, with Narrow Lane, like we're so in it that sometimes these things that everyone else sees as a big deal now is just like oh yeah like so it's we're at work let's make sure we don't mess this up let's make sure we have a good show and let's make sure after we're done this we go home but like i was there with my my parents they were like really happy asking everyone questions and just really really light-hearted about it all and after that then we went for dinner and stuff you know that kind of thing things that you sometimes because you're so serious you take for granted you know yeah yeah and i should point out like you know the story is obviously still developing in your life but it's so funny how podcasts work because it's like we we started at the start and this is almost like not the end but it's like the end so now we have to jump into the middle because like yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah like the president how the fuck did he perform with the president so i wanted to say I, the, I mean first off congratulations it's beautiful man i saw the photos and like you know i have to say personally aside from knowing you it's always important for me to say this like when I see black people of any form of uh, the di- diaspora in situations, in areas, in buildings that like 
they weren't built with us in mind years and years ago. Whenever we get to enter those spaces and just like own it, it's a win. And it's like, it's a beautiful thing. Like, no, for sure. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't take it lightly either. You know, I don't, I don't take that privilege that I was given lightly. Um, I, I'm still, you know, I'm still feeling like, yeah, absolutely. You know, when we look at each other and we look at where we are and what's, I, I think, my auntie and my wife had, had a ball because they, they, they got to hang out with the president and the president was <laughs> vibing and, and dancing with, you know, like, and they, that's something that they talk about to this day. If they meet anyone like, yeah, so I was talking to the president and he was telling me I'm such a great <laughs> dancer. And, you know, it's just, and it, it filled my heart with joy. Cause it's like, yeah, why not? Like, absolutely. Like, this is, this is awesome. But that's, that shows you the character, the measure of the man that Michael D. Higgins is, President Michael D. Higgins is, to be honest. I want to go back a bit uh, do, like to your, your hero origin story. Do you remember what those first few months in Shannon were like for you? Because I only started going to Ireland myself when I was 19. I'm so curious what it would have been like as a youth. Like. Living in Shannon at that time, it's actually kind of curious because now I have such a, a, a marvelous, uh, history of Shannon now, like moving in Shannon in 2001, first of all, like Ireland at that time was in, in a really, really beautiful place. Uh, we were going through what, what was called the boom. And I think everybody was just in, in a very, very good space in terms of if we, if we zoom it out. So moving there at that time was so, I had massive culture shock because like I moved to a small town in Shannon and Shannon is the first made up town in, in Ireland. So um, the way that it operates is kind of different. And I didn't know that at the time because people would place so much emphasis on religion. A lot of people would be like, are you Catholic or are you Protestant? And I was like, <laughs> I, I just, I guess I'll pick one. Um, because, you know, I come from, I come from Zimbabwe and, you know, at that time, um, my my faith wasn't such a very it wasn't at the same place that it is now where it's, it places massive value in my life but i wanted to i wanted to get along with everybody so i just said whatever the thing that was in the middle i was just like baptist but now that i i look about it i think about it like years later a lot of people from the north of ireland moved to shannon and um a lot of them were originally from ireland anyway so a lot of them would place being Catholic at a very, very, you know, because of what it means in terms of what was happening with, um, you know, over there in the north. So like we can, you can actually call my neighborhood, it was called Little Belfast. So a lot of people would ask me because they wanted to know if, if I was safe to be around. Like, are you Protestant? Because if you're Protestant, then that means we're going to have to not like each other. But I was such a safe space because I was like, well, I'm just Baptist. So we never even brought it up again. So now I know, oh, that's why a lot of people at first were so like very antagonistic. They were, you know, they kind of had that aura of like, yo, what are you? But after that, it was like, oh, like he's just Baptist. Um, so that's something that I noticed about uh, growing up in Shannon. But Shannon in itself is like a little haven um, because Past all of that, everybody who moved from the north and everybody who came from all these other places, to put context, Shannon was built around the Shannon Airport. 
So a lot of people who moved to Shannon were either moving away from a, a tragic circumstance who wanted to start a new life. Uh, and a lot of people were here to work. So in a way, you're like, I'm just happy that this place is a place that I get to work. And as the children, we're like, well, I guess we can, we just have to mold this place into what we want it to be. So I think after a while, I was like, look, I'm into music. And because of I'm into hip hop music, I'm into basketball. So then it was like, look, let's build, let's build a hoop. Let's like, let's ball. So pretty much a lot of, a lot of people who lived in Shannon, Shannon had a great reputation for basketball as well. So a lot of people would have been into hip hop too. So yeah, I'll just, so you can imagine that kind of made me and my friends stick out because we were like very much into hip hop because it was like, why are y'all so into music? Like, it's just so wild. Like, what's making y'all so into this thing? But maybe in the back of my head, I was like, well, I already know where I'm going. I know I want to take it as far as it can go. Especially I'm going to stop off town and everyone is like, well, we're going to leave here as soon as possible. I didn't leave. I, I wanted to make something of myself. Uh, but coming from Shannon. Man, that's so, that's really something else. And to think about like how the story has developed since, because I have to say it's very crazy, man. Like I've been to Ireland now more times than I can count, but would you believe that somehow I actually haven't been to Limerick yet? Word? Yeah, I can't believe it. Like, and. Well, uh, so tell me, tell me the places you've been to in, in Ireland. Let me see. Uh, Belfast, the North Coast, uh, Galway. Um, Dublin, of course, uh, Kildare, Donegal, and I mean, I've driven up and down the country, so it's kind of funny that Limerick didn't pop up, but yeah, I haven't. Well, you've been to, you've been to Galway, that's, uh, um. Is that pretty much, is that pretty close to Limerick, or? No, well, it's about an hour, um, it's about an hour, it's a, another very, very, very gorgeous place. It's just most of saying, like, maybe... If you, you went that way, you didn't come our way. That makes a lot of sense. Because um, there's some places that you're like, oh, yeah, Limerick is just right over there. But, um, yeah, you went to Galway, um, Kildare. All right, yeah. I mean, look, bro, you still have so many beautiful places to visit. You've been to really gorgeous places so far. Um, but Cork is another place that you need to get to. Like, Cork is, is another one of those wild places. So there are places in Ireland that you just you just will be like uh, Claire as well. You got to come to my uh, around my way. Uh, Claire is another gorgeous place. I mean, look, Ireland is is a beautiful, beautiful country. So you know, these are just some of my favorite places that I've just mentioned. Well, there's a reason why I brought up Limerick because, uh, like, you know, I've heard so much about it over the years, but I'd love to hear it from you as like a local. Like, how would you describe the city to someone like me who's never been there? Wow, bro. Uh, um, how do I describe Limerick? Bro, you know what? I would say one of the most, um, I would say like as much as, as far as the Limerick that I grew up in, it's once, once you're part of, once you're part of the family, you're, you're genuinely part of the family. And I think what makes Limerick, what, you know, in my opinion, what's making Limerick such a force in terms of the hurling, uh, we've, you know, that's four times that Limerick has won it in a row. Um, I think part of that comes to the pride of your locality, like the pride of your locale, like that, 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 like I'm from, you know, this neighborhood, like, you know, you, it, it, if you think of New York as the five, uh, the five boroughs, right. But that's, it's the same way of like the Limerick city and the county, 
And it's just that, yeah, like, I think I see it all the time because, because you know, being a child of hip-hop and everything, it's like, I'm from Uptown. Like, nobody's messing with Uptown. And, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm from Brooklyn. We, you know what I mean? Like, I'm from BK, man. We got Busta Rhymes. We got, man, we got Jay. We got, D- you know what I mean? I'm from Mars. Yeah, like, and then Queens. Queens, they're like, yeah, I'm Nori. We got Nori. We got Nas, Queensbridge. Do you know what I mean? Jamaica, Queens, Nikki, and 50. Like, it's, uh, you can imagine, I think that in some ways, uh, Limerick has got that same pride of their own locale, which means that when it came to music, what's really great is that all of those boroughs and all of those people from all those different uh, places and regions in, 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 this, in Limerick, they all then come together in, when it comes to music. So when we come to see something, we all come together. And one thing that I, I noticed about Limerick as well is that like people were not afraid to lend it a hand. Um, and, and, and genuinely, I think it is a very, very um, I'll help my neighbor kind of place, you know, because a lot of people would have a lot, a lot of great history of, of staying in, in Limerick for a long time. And, you know, my mom's from Limerick, this other, other person in my family. So I think because of that, it just kind of feels like everybody knows each other. I mean, people say that about Ireland anyway. They're like, you know, we're all like six degrees of separation from each other. You know, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I know this person. Yeah, man, I know my man. You know, that's, you know, and because of that, it really built us in terms of music. We didn't we didn't kind of think of um, things in terms of genres. We, we wouldn't go, oh, man, like that guy's a rapper and that guy's uh, in a rock band or this person's in an indie band. We all would be like, oh, yeah, my man plays great guitar. I need someone to, I need someone on my tune who plays guitar. Like, can, can he, do, you know, and you get to know him and then he becomes your friends and it introduces you to their world. And, you know, uh, I think that's, that's one thing that sets us apart is that, that unity. There's a festival happening in, in uh, that, you know, at this point that this part is coming out. It's already happened. It's, it's called Failing Agrania. It, it happens once a year, but it just kind of shows you how much that we can actually do a whole festival in Limerick full of people from Limerick who are willing to put each other on and, and to come and celebrate it and be a part of each other's uh, gigs and, you know, to big each other up and to keep each other going. And I think that's something that, to me, as, as far as people see from the outside, separates Limerick. Yeah, it's really something special. And it's like not a lot of it. It's one thing for a city to have vibrancy and creativity. It's another thing to have that and this sense of solidarity, which I do feel is innately Irish. But I feel like with what I've seen with Limerick over the years, it's very unique. Facts. Facts. It, it's yeah, it's cultivated by the people in the city. There are people who cultivate that, you know, um, from. You know, what's great is having great elders, right? Like having people that come from the place who instill these things onto the next generation. And then they see the other person doing that. And then they, the younger ones, then instill that from seeing another person do it, you know? And that's, that's, that's something that's really great is that there was just a lot of great elders who also are into music, you know? So they instill that from um professional side in terms of like people in education who are like, look, we were there when the cranberries were killing it. So now I want to continue this legacy of making sure that people are putting on gigs and having access to go into gigs. And then you have someone else who works in another profession who still hails up that same respect for the music. 
I think Limerick just has a very, very great respect for music. And they will make sure that on a grass, grassroots level that it continues going. I could be here all day naming all those elders, but then it's kind of what's great is that the second generation took that on and then those elders can chill and just be like, yeah, this is great. Like that you guys kept us going. And I, I really, um, I'm much absolutely privileged to be someone who came within that same structure that's being put in place. And I, I'm very happy to say that it, it, it lives on and it thrives on to this day. Yeah, that's stunning, man. That's stunning. And, you know, I'm quite curious. I'll, I'll add context after I ask this, but I am very curious. Have you met uh, Blind Boy and is he aware of what you've been building with Narrowlane? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, he is someone that actually directed um, our first single. Did he? Yeah, yeah. So our first single um, with Rusingano at the time, he directed that at the time. He, uh, it was called uh, Lights On. It was the you know debut single of our first album as Rusangano. So uh, Blind Boy actually uh, helped direct that along with um, with Steve Hall, who we've worked on. We've worked with um, you know a friend of the family at this point. So yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. I had no idea. Wow, like. Yeah, so I'll just mention to people real quick about him. Like, Blind Boy used to be in a group called the Rubber Bandits, and now he's a podcaster and an author, but he's essentially become one of the most surprising, one of the most important voices in Ireland. And it's it's been trippy for me because, like, I was quite a big Rubber Bandits fan when I was, like, in uni, and then I kind of forgot about him. And then during the pandemic, friends of mine in Ireland kept talking about the podcast. So there was, like, a month in lockdown where I just listened to a bunch of his episodes, and just what a crazily insightful fucking guy. Eh? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And you know what? He's been like that since like the rubber bandits were killing it as well, because they said some poignant things um, when when the country needed it. You know, they this they highlighted a lot of things. And actually, part of Limerick's the reason why Limerick's been way up for a very long time has to we have to mention the rubber bandits because from 2008 till now they've consistently put Limerick on the map they were doing it when no one else was they were doing it when Limerick had a bad reputation and all people that used to think about is negativity uh they have been a, a source for positivity for a, as long as as long as I've been very good at music they've been on point and they've been somewhere to look up to you know um you know, they when they went viral with uh, Horse Outside, that changed everything. They had a TV show where they would, you know, highlight Limerick and hail up Limerick and really changed how people looked at Limerick. They were the first ones to absolutely, like, just change the... Actually, look, I know the Cranberries were there as well, but in terms of... In, in, in my time, in my time... Um, the rubber bandits were the people to look up to and they just changed the way people were looking at Limerick and how people viewed Limerick um, on, on a national uh, scale. They were the people to look up to. So you can imagine, uh, I, I can even remember we shared a space together with them. We did a freestyle myself and, and, and my rap group at the time, True Blood Soldiers. Um, you know, I remember I was like, yo, there's a guy with a plastic bag in his head, but okay, cool. Hey man. 
We're all artists, I guess. <laughs> and this was before I knew who the rubber bandits were. This was 2008. Yeah, yeah. We were actually shoot. We were in, uh, there was uh, there's a legend, like I said, the pillars of of Limerick. There's a man called Shane Curtin, uh, who actually uh, who invited us to be a part of this radio broadcast that was being. Um, it was actually in New Jersey. It was a show uh, in in America in New Jersey, and they were highlighting the scene in in Ireland and and um, Blind Boy was there, uh, and that's the first time I saw him. But I hadn't spoke to him. You know, we 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 didn't start actually having you know uh, longer conversations until uh, we were in Rusangano family, uh, and that's when you know we he he thought of the concept of some of the ideas in the music video that we have. Man, that is really something else about Blind Boy. Big ups to him forever. Um, you know, one of the things I've asked a few people throughout this um season is how they feel they find themselves feeling and thinking about their homes when they're away because i think it's so fascinating and when i think about the context um for you it's kind of wild because you've had the experience of being out of ireland even uh at such a young age so i wonder for you now as an adult the fact that music's so much of your life and by the very nature of it, it takes you away from times like when you venture out of Ireland, what are the thoughts and the feelings that kind of come to your mind, specifically about Ireland as a whole? That's a beautiful question. I think, like, I'm such a peculiar case because I also then married, um, you know, a, a, a Brummy, someone who's from Birmingham in the UK, um, which means I, I'm, I'm between Ireland and the UK. So you can imagine I kind of would miss home a bit more as well now. Um, when I'm when I'm gigging, when I'm gigging, I feel like I'm I'm bringing a, I'm bringing some of Ireland out with me. That makes sense, and I, I do that wherever I am. Even when I'm here, you know, when I'm with my wife, like you know, sometimes she's like looking at me. I'm, you know, when someone says, "Yo, where are you from?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm from Ireland," and she's like, "Oh, snap!" Like you don't say you're from Zimbabwe. It's like no, but like I grew up in Ireland, you know. So I think of. I spent more years in Ireland in terms of my adulthood, but at the same time, like I think it's also because, bro, like I'm I'm a black man, it, they're still gonna think, yeah, but like where you really from? So I've had to fight for my Irishness more than like my Africanness, bro, bro. Africa is just there, it's just there, bro. <laughs> there, bro, it's there, it's there, bro. Like, um, there are things that are just African about me, you know. Whereas my Irishness, it's like no, bro, like something that i own i gotta own that because it's something that is not freely given they're not going to be like oh yeah that's the irish lad the german you got especially even from people from ireland themselves like you know it's not just a red it's not just a red passport to me you know what i mean ireland is is a place that i grew up that i love my friends my family a lot of people are, i care about are, are in ireland so it's something that i make sure that even for my parents generation that Yo, listen, you you have as much right to be here as anyone else. Whereas, you know, I don't, you know, I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm just someone who just sits just in an island for no reason. There's a purpose, there's a reason. You know what I mean? And that acceptance, I already have it, you know. So whenever I'm out, it's like, yeah, I'm I'm Irish. Like, that's the first thing that so when I'm out, when I'm away from Ireland, you know, things, you know, you you care about a little more, you know, I drink tea a little bit more, maybe, you know what I mean? It's, little ways that I want to stay connected to home, you know, um, it's just, 
you know, there's little things that you start craving and, and, and you think about um, that you wouldn't really, because if you're, if you're just at home, you're just at home. But um, that's just the way that I, I operate when I'm, when I'm out of Ireland. But um, yeah, man, you, you care about certain details. I think it's like any, anybody who moves from home. Yeah. You, when you start missing home, you, you, there's little things you start caring about that maybe you wouldn't have thought of before. Yeah. It's really something else. And like, you know, one of the big reasons why I knew I had to talk about Ireland in the context of this season, it kind of speaks to what you're talking about, is that like, you know, I've been fortunate to travel a bit because of what I do. And I, I like I mentioned earlier how Ireland was so profound to me when I started going there. But the thing that's made it stay special, the thing that has persisted is that like out of everywhere I've been in the world, the level of feeling welcome that people in Ireland evoke onto me whenever I go really leaves me stunned every time. Like even now, like I was there last year for a wedding and I just remembered like the way strangers made me feel in terms of like, you're welcome here, echoed a feeling that I had when I was like 19 and 20. And I remember just thinking like how rare it is that you can say that about a place. Like it's really something like beautiful though. Yeah, no, you're not. No, you're absolutely, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, look, they do say Ireland is a is a place of a thousand welcomes. So yeah, that's that's real. Um, in most cases, I I do believe that people just want to make people feel welcome. It is, uh, you know, there's places that are renowned for being polite and and being so welcoming. Um, but Ireland is definitely one of those places, and it's genuine because there's there's places where people force pol- being polite. You know, it's kind of like yeah, we're polite because I want a tip. It's like, no, no, I'm just polite because I'm polite, you know, or like, I want you to feel welcome because I want you to feel welcome. I don't want you to, I don't, I don't need you to buy anything in my store or I don't, you know what I mean? It's, there's no, there's no agenda behind it. Um, and that's, that's, that's something that, yeah, it, it's true. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that, you know? Yeah, cheers. Uh, um, you know, earlier on, I brought it up a few times, but I think it's nice we should jump into it proper because Narrow Lane. It's an independent record label you've co-founded. And something that's really striking to me, mate, is that from the outside, I feel like it operates more as a collective than a traditional record label. Would I be right in thinking that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, it's, um, you know what, we're so hands-on with it. Um, And I think when I look at, you know, previous uh stables that have done it similarly i think you know there's great blueprints like a dreamville dreamville is another label that i feel like kind of moves the same way we do um because when you look at you know the work that cole puts in ibrahim puts in um and even some of the artists on the label don't necessarily just move just like artists you know when you think of earth gang and boston and how they all operate is kind of they they move as a collective that's why when when they brought out um the album with all of the different artists from all these other places it was kind of like yeah that's that's a blueprint that's something that to look to because they still give other artists the independence of being themselves as well so yeah that's yeah it's it's clever spotting yeah that's really something else and i i think the dreamville bringing that up is very apt because it's like you know like Cole is it like you said hands on. It's like I'm thinking about when they were making uh Revenge Three and it was like he's in it. Like in those studio right. sessions and just like That's right. Yeah, that's right. That that's the that's the spirit that that's the spirit that we try to 
a spirit that we try to bring. And even now that uh, Kendrick is with PG Lang, but you can feel that even with, with Top Dog and how TVE and, and now PG Lang with, with K-Dot on his own with Day Free, you know Day Free was directing all those videos. You know, like, you know he was he was fully there with them. Even now on, on the last album with Soundwave, it's the way there's little details that you're like, if you see it, you see it. But if you miss it, you miss it. You know, how Absol and J-Rock would be like, you know, they would just be on some random song, but you you don't, when you get the context, you're like, they've done this consistently. It's not even just like, oh yeah, like, oh, it's just, this is made up. No, it's, it don't feel made up. And I think that's something that hip hop really brings, you know, um, shout out to like the 50 years of hip hop this year. It, it just has you reflecting on how many amazing people came came and come from this genre that we do that, that we're a part of that we're very uh love lucky and privileged to be a part of like you know when you think of any any stable that then partnered with a major first of all what they cultivate is that collective unity and then it gets bigger but, but it's never the other way around i know nowadays people try to kind of make that up but when it's real it's too real man like when we think of every every label that we've looked up to over these last years, you know, shout out to Master P and, you know, what he did with No Limit. And, you know, when you think of all of those, you think of, yo, they were really like this, man. They cared about every aspect of it. And then they just molded how they wanted to go about the route of the journey. Before we wrap up, like the last thing I want to ask you about, um, you know, with Ireland, how you you brought up the aspect of Irish identity and how it correlates to your existence and how you feel like it's earned and all that. Do you feel like that feeling kind of feeds into why you choose to be there? What I mean by that is that, again, by the nature of what you do, it's kind of shocking. Like, I, I mean, I'm speaking for America, but I feel like I've seen this in um, Ireland and the UK and Europe as a whole as well, where it's like, you know, when people most people don't realize that where they're living is an active thought by the nature of how their lives are. But with certain professions, it does become a bit more tangible. And with being a musician, that element of like, I'm living here is more of a choice. Do you feel like you know the why of behind why you stay in Ireland? Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yo, like I want to break barriers. I want to open doors. I want to change. I want to change the way people look at Ireland. I want to change the way people contextualize Ireland. I, I care. I'm from a small made-up town called Shannon. It's the first made-up town in Ireland. There was a man called Brendan O'Regan who helped broker peace treaties and make sure that people who were moving from the troubles in the north came to Shannon to stay where in my town. We, were the, we created uh, the duty-free. Duty-free, if you go there, that's because of Shannon. That's because of my town. I want to be etched in that same category when you say the name Brendan O'Regan and you give respect to the OG that is Brendan O'Regan, you think about me. You know, he's the one who made sure that Bunrati Castle was refurbished and looks gorgeous. So many places in Clare that have to do with that man. You're going to say, God knows, he's the first black man that won the Choice Music Prize. You know, he's the first hip-hop group to win the Choice Music Prize and then won it again in 2020 with Denise Chyla and you know they, they have narrow lane has two of them in there and two first completely co re revolutionizing how people look at what we do you're going to mention my name and what and 
you're going to say, when you say Limerick, you say the Limerick All Island hurling team. And you also say my name in there. You got a big us up. You got a big narrow lane up in there as well. And those are things I care about because when I see my heroes, I was, when I met JME, he's my hero. And when I met JME, bro, I told him everything. I told him how him and his brother Skepta changed my life. How the fact that they held up being Nigerian and also being from Tottenham in London, the way that they saw no difference in those two things. That, you know, I'm from, you know, I'm from Nigeria. You know, not St. Lucia, Big Lips, African Hooter. Like that pride in being African when it wasn't cool to be African. I told JME that and, and JME was like, yeah, Skepta is always, he always saw that. He was always ahead of the game with that. And I, I hope that kids who were growing up today look back on my album with Merle and my name is John and they say, yeah, those guys knew. Those guys were telling our story way before anyone else was. You know what I mean? That yo, like yo, yo opened the door for black people to just be them. You don't even need to talk about your immigrant story the way I had to. You don't even need to fight the wars that we, that myself and Merle did. You know, we were the first, we were the only black people anywhere in, in, in gigs. We're still the only black people where we were in the places we frequent. There's still places that black people are not in the rooms, but we're there because we care about our you know, and not to make this about that, but I'm just saying this is important. It's important that we exist because I'm not, I'm someone that can walk into any room and be myself. And so that my little sister and my little brother can walk in any room and be themselves. But they look at me and say, yeah, you did that. So I can just be, I don't know. No one even needs to ask me no questions. I don't, I don't even know. Any sense, but I was the only person there. And when people would ask questions, I was articulate enough to make sure that where I'm, I'm, I was representation before representation became a thing, my G. Like in my in where I'm from, yeah, a hundred percent. So, like, how can I not be proud to be from Shannon County, Clare? You know, Munya, thanks, man. I mean, fuck it, hell. I feel like I got one hell of an education just now, and like, it feels really damn good. Thank you, yeah. Oh man, Ken, are you crazy? Like. You were the one who come through with the sick, awesome questions. Like, um, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of what you do. I'm a fan of how much you care. I'm a fan of what you've been building. I'm, I'm genuinely, I can't wait to chop it up with you. Definitely a talk I'm going to be reflecting on for years to come. Coming across artists that operate with such intention is so important, and I love seeing how much that rings true with Munya. My next guest also has that going for him, and I love that I get to say that this next portion of the podcast focuses largely on Northern Ireland. I love the whole country, but I do have to say that it's Northern Ireland that has my heart in quite a profound way. It was there that my connection with Ireland actually began because of the band Ash and also because of my friends and fellow photographers, Kara McMullen and Colm Laverty, who are probably listening right now. And yeah, also because of a music scene that embraced me at a time where I needed it the most. But I have to admit, there are aspects of Irish art I've been admittedly ignorant towards, which is what led me to chatting with today's guest, Ryan Val. Ryan is a singer-songwriter of electronic music who also DJs and directs videos across Ireland with Visual Spectrum, a production company he's also a director at. 
He's also the recipient of the 2019 Northern Irish Music Prize with his collaborative album Borders, which he made with fellow artist Elma Orchestra. That album is an unbelievable body of work, which operates as both a sonic and visual exploration of the island of Ireland itself. That album is an unbelievable body of work, which operates as both a sonic and visual exploration of the island of Ireland itself. We serendipitously chat about the album in this talk because so much of its themes are more relevant today than it was when it was initially released. Ryan was such a joy to chat with, and I especially love how I got to learn more about electronic music's history in Ireland. And yeah, you're in for a real treat with this one. You know, a big thing with this episode you're about to be a part of was me challenging myself because a bit of my background is that I've been to Ireland often since my early 20s. And a lot of those initial visits were tied to music, like with bands like Tudor Cinema Club and So I Watch You From Afar, General Fiasco, and friends that I met getting to know those bands and going to weddings and stuff like that. And um, something I came to realize when I thought like, okay, I'm going to make a podcast episode about Ireland is I was like, my initial idea was to talk to people that revolved around like rock music. And I realized that I mostly knew only about rock music and some hip hop in Ireland. And it kind of hit me that I'm quite ignorant towards how dance and electronic music operates in Ireland and how it's appreciated. So that's something I'm very curious about and hence why I really wanted to chat with you. Yeah, like it's kind of it's kind of it's a strange one because I suppose even in the history of like, you know, music in, in Ireland, I suppose Northern Ireland, if we focus on in that section. Um, during the troubles and the kind of war times, there's always the story told of like you know punk being this like really good instigator of bringing people together, um, which is a beautiful story and I suppose it was the case um, at a certain level, but it was it was people did unite mainly on the dance music, um, and it was like places like uh, I suppose Kelly's and Port Rush would have been a a big club back in the day. There's a few around kind of Belfast and stuff. Um, and it kind of led to a lot of big DJs kind of coming out of Ireland, like Annie Mack, who would, would be one of the, the one of the biggest, I suppose, BBC Radio One presenters of the last kind of decade and stuff. Um and Ireland just generally has quite a, a large dance scene and it always has. And I don't know if it's just there was so much war here and so much hardship that it let people forget. Um, I think in a gig, when you're seeing a band, it demands a certain amount of attention where you have to listen to a song, clap. And, you know, there, there's like this kind of engagement where, you know, a, a club's different. You just go and lose lose yourself for hours at the end. And I think that's quite an appealing thing for a lot of people because of what what happened here. So yeah, like there's a huge techno scene, and I suppose it's probably very similar to what happened in Detroit. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of similar connections there. The landscape, um, the the lack of jobs, I suppose, the the need to escape kind of every everyday life. But what what's happened now is I suppose dance music's kind of the most popular genre here. All the concerts now that you know have DJs on them have upwards of like, you know, ten thousand people attending. Some of the some of them are up 
as far as 60,000 now, where, you know, the rock Jesus. kind of shows kind of are capped at around 2,000 people. So it's, 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 it's quite a big, like, industry here. Um, it's very business-orientated, and a lot of people that learn it actually make quite a good loving out of it. Um, it's a good industry. It, it really engages with all ages, and it, it's growing, growing by the year. That's really something else. I mean, a, a big thing I've noticed over the like year, recent years in terms of what you're speaking to is the rise of a group like Bicep, where, I mean, yeah. who would have imagined that even 10 years ago? Yeah, you see, like, that's a, that Bicep are a really good example. Um, you know, they were, they kind of got their, their fame in Glasgow. Um, so they were like a house music act for a long time. And um, they had a website, I think it was called Feel My, Be- Feel My Bicep, <laughs> where it was like, <laughs> you know, like just a lot of like house edits and, you know, various other things. But it was never like as kind of open to everybody uh, as and it would have been just solely focused at DJs. Um, so they they kind of like loved in the clubs and this underground kind of house scene in the UK and Ireland for four ten years. Um, until they got this following that allowed them to break away from just DJ music and actually make an album. Because for me, um, especially being in the electronic kind of industry, that's a real turning point for a DJ when they decide to go. Okay, the club gives me so much satisfaction. Um, but for me to grow as an artist, I need to think outside of the club. And that really boils down to writing your tracks in a different way, um, writing them for radio, writing them for people to listen on, you know, Spotify or, or, or whatnot. So I think Bicep really matured under that role and matured under it really well. Um, and they had all that club experience and had built up a following over 10 years. So by the time it came to releasing an album, they kind of had like the crowd in the palm of their hand. They could have done anything. They they had just won them over because they'd been so consistently good for so long. So yeah, it, it was really nice seeing them rise to the top, um, on and on a great label too because they they actually released their album on Ninja Tune, which was primarily a hip hop label. Oh yeah, that's right. uh, a long time. Um, so it was nice to see that you know Ninja Tune as a label develop as well with with what was happening. Yeah, that's really something else. Well, in regards to you, Ryan, I'd love to kind of sink into it because you talked about the history of you know where maybe like the love of electronic music kind of happened in Ireland. But for you personally, like when did your love for electronic music begin? Do you remember? Yeah, like um, so I kind of I kind of was a DJ from when I was about sixteen years old. Um, and I was kind of one of those guys that wasn't really into like drinking or partying. And I was always like wanting to like, you know, run my own nights and, you know, get better DJing and buy more records. So I, I spent a lot of time in record shops in my, my young years. And at the time when I kind of came on the scene, there was a real rise in British hip hop. So I think it was really inspired by kind of like the Beastie Boys and people like that, you know, Tribe Called Quest. And there was just this like really lo-fi kind of cool hip hop thing happening that wasn't really offensive. And it wasn't like it wasn't like gangster rap, essentially, because we we, we didn't really relate to the kind of the things that like the gangster rap was re- relating to because it was too triggering because of our history. So I think like within hip hop, there was like a softer side that we 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 liked, and it was the side that wasn't talking about guns and violence, because <laughs> we were actually loving it. Yeah. 
so yeah i, I started off you know as, as, as suppose as like a hip-hop dj turntablist kind of you know all that kind of movement and i moved in manchester and when i moved in manchester i got my mind blown by all these like amazing clubs that had different genres of music in every club so where i grew up in Derry, it was it was just hip-hop and like r&b we went to or I moved to Manchester and it was like drum and bass. It was breakbeat. It was house music. Um, and for me, at, at such a young age, that was super influential, get, you know, seeing all these acts. How old were you when you moved to Manchester? So I would have been like 19. Um, oh, okay. so in, That's a great age. It is a great age. It's like one of my first, even like, you know, even arriving in Manchester, it was like, they they had big venues. We didn't have big venues. Uh, were were in Derry at the time because essentially they were all blown up by you know paramilitaries. <laughs> so we we didn't have like big venues. Um, so the the biggest kind of music venues back then would have been maybe three hundred capacity. So they're very small. Mm -hmm. So what that meant was we never seen big acts. None of the big acts would tour because they couldn't make enough money touring in small venues. So yeah, the, one of the first gigs that I got to see when I moved to Manchester was like Grandmaster Flash within like the first two weeks of being there. You know, Sugar Hill Records had a night on. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. The next oh week, God. we went and seen like Ronnie Size, who at the time was like this big kind of drum and bass, you know, UK drum and bass kind of producer. Um, and it just snowballed. It was just like every week there was someone massive playing that was like really big. And I think that was the catalyst for me really diving into electronic music, just being, you know, seeing this like whole DJ movement and various genres. So, yeah, like soon after I started kind of learning how to produce. That's really something else. And it's interesting how it happened. Well, kind of like how what a role Manchester played, because something that something that really always gets into my mind when I'm in Ireland, like I can't escape it, is the way music plays such a prominent role in almost like everyday life. Like, I find it very striking and unique. And I've talked about it with people over the years, but I'd love to hear, like, you know, in regards to your own life, how that is, because you're living there now. And obviously, yeah. you create art and you ruminate on life there. How do you feel the music you make is inspired by your surroundings? Because, I mean, it's kind of wild that you're, you're an artist that lives in a place where you can hear music in every corner, you know? Yeah, like... It's really strange because when I was in my early 20s, I was almost ashamed of being Irish because it was such a troubled place to love. Um, and we were just seen, you know, where, we were, where, I am, where I am in Derry is part of the United Kingdom. And it was just kind of like really like everything was quite offensive to everybody. So I, I wouldn't have that natural thing where I, I like offending people or, you know, I'm comfortable offending people. So I was almost really ashamed of being Irish for, you know, the first part of my kind of 20s. Um, so I suppose my DJ journey was kind of avoiding everything to do with being Irish because it was so offensive where I was from. <laughs> so it, it was it was really like, I suppose, um, maturing and where I was from and just getting older, I, I realized there's ways to do this without, you know, offending people, but embracing the culture that you're from. And I suppose that came really prominent when one of the first records I released was with a folk singer called Kieran Lavery. Um, oh, Kieran's yeah. a mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, 
This is one of my favorite things about Ireland. I like to always tell people, if you know one person, I feel like you know seven other people. Yeah, yeah. And this is, this is I suppose, a good example of, you know, just maturing and being an artist. So, like, at the time, I was so driven at it, uh, with electronic music that I wasn't really taking on any other genres or, you know, I wasn't really paying attention to them. And Kieran kind of approached me one night and says, listen, would you fancy doing a record together, you know? And, I didn't really know who Kieran was, so I was just like, nah, it's not not for me. Um, and he says, well, I'm playing tonight if you want to come see me play. And it was a part of a festival that I was also playing at, so I came over to see him play. Uh, and within two lines of the first song, I was like, yeah, we're going to make a record together. He was so good. <laughs> <laughs> he is such a stupidly talented guy. Oh, I ridiculous. got to know him yeah. through, do you know Chris Platt at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, Chris, the more yeah. than Cockroach. Yeah. Yeah, Chris is a, Chris is a really really good friend of mine, and I got to know uh, Kieran through him. And like, I remember he played me one of Kieran's songs. I can't remember like what song it was, but I still remember like right before you hit play, he's like, "Hey, listen to this song. It's so annoying how good this guy is." Like he was like clearly jealous. Uh, uh, no, he's he's phenomenal, and Stull is really good as well. He's never like you know veered from being amazing. Um. But yes, that was probably quite a big turning point in my career because what we ended up doing was we wrote an album about kind of um, the seaside that was kind of beside where I grew up. And it was full of poetry, like a lot of like soundscapes. Um, It was called Sea Legs. Uh, um, And it was the first kind of collaborative kind of project, proper collaborative project that I had done. Um, And again, that was nominated for awards and stuff. So... It it went down really well, and I suppose that that paved the way then for me to really just open my mind to you know the art of collaboration and and just taking risks. Um, and I suppose that that's been my entire thing now for a couple of years is just be open to everything and see where it takes you. What a beautiful answer. I mean, do you feel like that experience of like because you know I should stress in the context of how you're talking about it. What's so beautiful about musical collaboration? and how music is created is that there's so much time where you're not actually making music, so much time when you're having conversations and hanging out. And I wonder in those instances with Kieran, with Sea Legs, do you feel like it permeated outward when you weren't doing that with him and when you got to know some other people? Like, do you think that was kind of like a launching pad to like this wider appreciation in a way? Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, because soon after, you know, I was like, you know, doing a remix for Soak, um, who was kind of nominated for a Mercury Award. Um, ended up doing like this kind of crossover kind of grunge single with um, like uh, a lady called Jealous of the Birds. Oh, Naomi's also in it. Naomi, yeah. So, yeah, no, like it was definitely the catalyst of of a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have thought of doing. Um, but I, I suppose I've always been open to everything, you know, even when I was like really focused on hip hop, I was like listening to house music and, you know, I was, I suppose I just never got out of the electronic thing. Um, and then once I started getting into the kind of singer songwriter side of things and then, you know, even like, and so I watch you from afar, you know, I'd be quite friend friendly with Rory and uh, a few of them there. And I've, they've ended up asking me to support them um, on a few big shows. Um, at the time I was doing like 
I was releasing a lot of like um, albums that almost sound like film soundtracks. So it was just these big crescendos and, you know, it was, it was all very atmospheric. And it just showed you how cool they are as, as a band as well, because, you know, they're known for like shoegaze kind of rock kind of, you know, but they had this electronic act supporting them. Yeah. The, naturally, people would expect another band to be on stage, but it just showed you how mature they were in their music as well, where they felt quite comfortable, you know, saying to their audience, this is who we want supporting us. This is really cool as well. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you just have like moments in your life where you're just like very grateful for thing for opportunities like that. But also you kind of learn from them. Um, and I suppose, you know, just experiences like that help you grow as an artist. Yeah. And, you know, like hearing you talk, especially about this now, reflecting on like how this conversation started. I mean, yeah, there's such a beautiful, not necessarily a paradox, but kind of paradoxical contrast about like what you're describing versus what it can be like to make music sometimes. Because I, I feel like I notice with electronic artists is that there's this element of being solitary that's kind of more pronounced than I think any other genre of music the way it requires you to kind of sit there and kind of go over every you know texture and tone but I'm hearing you talk and I can tell that the element of like living and interacting with people and being amongst people is so important to you and like I feel like I hear that in the music so it's nice to hear that kind of um reflects that in a way yeah yeah no for sure like I I remember um so the Borders album was uh, it was myself and another artist called Elm Orchestra, uh, Ono Callahan. And I remember when we started making the Borders album, which was like this crossover electronic meets kind of modern classical music. Um, we were making that album and we had an opportunity of working with Moya Brennan, who's the lead singer of a, quite a large Irish band called Clannad. Uh, she'd be the sister of Enya. And I remember we, we we were asked to do a track with them and, you know, Owen's initial reaction was like, no, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, where my initial reaction was, I don't know how this will work, but I'm really intrigued to see what will happen if we do this. Um, and we kind of, we done it and it turned out beautiful. She ended up singing, you know, half the song in Irish and half the song in English. Um, and it became quite a, quite a good song for us to do it ended up on tv and ended up you know just doing really well but again i suppose it's just approaching music with that openness it's super important because you just never know what what's going to happen well you bringing that up uh like i did naturally know we'd have to talk about it and we've kind of arrived to that bit so i'm kind of excited about this because yeah, i'll just say it again you said it but i'll say it again uh a few years back in 2021 uh, I went back to Ireland to be one of the judges of the NI Music Prize, and it, it was such a beautiful experience. Um, that I remember there was this dude who was just like shouting bicep like every two seconds. It was like pretty hilarious that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, like you said, you and Elmo won the prize in 2019 for Borders, uh, which is a brilliant album, I have to say. Like, um, it's kind of trippy chatting with you because I. One of my really close friends is Phil Taggart, and he put me onto the album before you guys won it. Okay. So I remember when it won, I was like, look at this album I just started listening to winning awards. But, um, <laughs> mate, what, what was that night and experience like for you? Yeah, it was so surreal. Um, I suppose, like, the, the prize itself was, um, it was predominantly bands that always won it. 
um like there was never a single or an album won by like an electronic artist ever so in many ways you almost just felt like the token electronic act <laughs> that turned up to it so i don't think like as an electronic act going under that award you ever think you're going to want it it's just like we've done really well we've sold a lot of records um but we're also up against saint suster i think it was at the time and bicep um and you kind of just don't know how people are are going to react it but i suppose for us we were just like we're on one of the most beautiful venues in the, the city um and we, we just want to play a good show for everybody and i, th I think we did <laughs> we had a nice crowd reaction um but yeah one that was a well, I was going to say it was a game changer. It should have been a game changer if there wasn't a pandemic uh, a few months later. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, no, that that was um, that was a beautiful experience. Uh, it was absolutely amazing to to actually win an award, and you know, it it was great for the record label, which was a Belfast label. Uh, it was great for everyone involved that worked so hard all that year, and it just kind of gave you that kind of you know stamp of approval too that you. you you do kind of fight for as an artist, especially an electronic one, and predominantly a, a kind of rock rock industry in Ireland. Yeah, it's really trippy. But you know, outside of that, you know, I mean, obviously, it's like it's inescapable, you know, experiencing that and reflecting on it. But outside of that, I mean, those you know, six months prior, those experiences. I mean, when you consider how you were talking earlier about like in your twenties, not being able to feel a sense of pride or attachment to where you're from. I imagine going through the things you went through just made it easier in some ways in regards to the reception, going to Mexico, that documentary. It's like, you know, that those things happen because of where you're from in the context of the art you made. And it's like, what a crazy thing to consider that that's even possible. Yeah. Well, I think uh, like career wise, um, it felt like a lot of stuff was leading to that album. You know, you know, the inclusion of like, the Irish language in it along with the English language and you know that that track uh, Colours with Moya Brennan that ended up on national radio and for the first time in something like 16 years it was the first time people heard the Irish language on radio Wow! so like there was a lot of like groundbreaking things that happened during that that album um, there was a, a poem on it uh, the track was called My Island with uh, a Dublin poet called um, Stephen James Smith, and that poem was about unifying Ireland and and seeing past our differences um, and struggles, um, and in a way it was almost, I suppose myself and Owen Elmer Orchestra finding kind of resolve within issues that we had within Ireland as well. So that that album was quite an emotional one for us to play live because every track had like this really big meaning for us. Um, like there was a, a track called Arrival. And at the time, there was a lot of riots and problems with immigrants, um, you know, coming on the UK and Ireland. And that's what that track for us was about, was addressing this, this thing that people thought was an issue and it, it should have been embraced and it should have been looked at as, you know, it used to be us fleeing our country and now we're not as people coming to our country and we should have learned from, you know, past experience. So uh, the the album itself was like touching on like loads of issues uh, that we we felt all stemmed from borders. This idea of borders, this 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 thing that we we all seem to constantly revolve around that causes so much death and war. Yeah. So suppose like it was that you know 
understanding your own history and embracing it a bit more and being proud of where you're from. And that's when I did feel proud of being Irish was when, when we done Borders. And it was like, it's definitely had a lasting impact on, on that mindset. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And like, I don't know if I'll be mentioning this in the intro, so I'll just bring it up real quickly. But something I feel is so significant in what you just said there about the correlation between you know, that moment in time and um, Ireland specifically is that, you know, because of the troubles and the history prior to that, to the present, I mean, Ireland's one of the few countries in the world that technically doesn't have physical borders, which is insane to think about. Like, Yeah, yeah. So, which, which is insane um, and was the case when, when we made the album. Uh, but I suppose that the what kind of inspired it was they started talking about a physical border uh, when, when Brexit was was kind of being discussed and us leaving the European Union. Um, very flippantly, might I add. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 very, very, very much so. Um, at the time, you know, it was the fear of, the, of that even being talked about was, was so, it was hard to, hard to even absorb. But then, you know, the pandemic came and the first thing that happened was they closed the borders from the north and the south. There was patrol cars in every border and crossing and you weren't allowed to cross the border. I didn't know that, actually. Wait, really? Yeah, so it was the, it was the most hard-hitting thing to actually watch. Um, I live kind of close to the border, so my community would be on both sides. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden we were just completely separated and it was illegal to cross the border. What was the fear? Like the fear was spreading of the virus at the time, or spreading of the virus, but also that because the north and the south, so the north was the UK, so they were deciding their COVID rules, and the south were deciding deciding different COVID rules. Um, so the only way that they could actually control the, the their own regions was by separating them. Jesus. Um, so instead of having like a united Ireland approach to dealing with COVID, it, it actually turned quite political quite fast. Um, which was kind of our fear when we were making the Borders album is because everything does become so political in Ireland that the most absurd ideas become a reality <laughs> when people are, you know, pushed that way. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the very concept is so absurd of that. And like, I, wow, that's, so, it's sad that that happened. And like, I imagine the last, like, because I've talked to some mates about stuff, but that really didn't come up. I imagine the lasting effects of that must be felt to some degree. Yeah, well, I think what, what what's happened now um, is it's really encouraged the all-Ireland talk of Ireland becoming independent again um, because the way the British government kind of handled a, that period was really bad. Um, and before, there was always talk of a united Ireland, but it was never really a serious conversation. It was just something like politicians would use to get certain ag agendas across during, you know, voting and stuff. Where now it actually feels like it's a tangible thing and people would actually, like, consider the idea. Or before, it was just, you know, a, a strong Republican idea. Where now it, it feels like, no, everybody might consider this idea now. <laughs> I say, I say this respectfully in the context of what you said there just now and a few minutes ago, but like when these conversations come up, I obviously understand the history and I have an awareness and a baseline understanding of it. 
But there is this thing for me as an American where I find myself so respectfully fascinated that this kind of um, conflict and paradigm and issue exists in a country so small. Like, it's yeah. fascinating to me that that even is <laughs> Like, the idea of, like, sectioning off a country that small is, like, kind of weirdly funny. Yeah. Because it doesn't yeah. make sense, like. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, like, it's kind of strange, like, like, even at the weekend there, there was, like, Aswam and Derry, so the, there was the, the marches, the unionist marches, where they kind of march around Derry, surrounded by these walls, so the whole city's just surrounded by these beautiful walls, um, and the apprentice boys turned up and marched around the walls of the, of the city, singing a lot of offensive songs that, that naturally get nationalists kind of riled up and you know angry but at the same time the nationalists had um the fela in belfast which is a giant concert in, in the falls park in belfast which they had like nationalist kind of bands like the wolf tones chanting like Ooh, ah, up the Ra, and you know ira and you know it's, it's like uh, it's 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 very toxic for such a small place um and I think, you know, obviously there was, you know, obviously all the trouble started with like the idea of, you know, civil rights and trying to make things better. But I think over time, what's happened now is that it's been kind of hijacked and it's it's about maybe not so much about the religion and the, the civil rights. It's it's more about money and gangs. And, you know, it, it's just been kind of camouflaged under that kind of, you know, umbrella of, you know, the of politics so yeah it's, it's quite a hard thing to watch um when you're when you're raising your family here uh these kind of groups preying on the the working class communities yeah it's I, I mean i would say it's borderline insidious in instances like that yeah it's a big question of me to ask a borderline like wild one but you know before we go i i would love to kind of hear your take and i feel, i imagine you have a perspective considering how you're talking i'd love to get your take about how you feel where Irish art is going, both in regards to Northern Ireland and further south, because I imagine in relation to what you do, also with being um, a visual director as well, with um, visual spectrum, I imagine you do some work with the, in the Republic, so. Yeah. Yeah, like I was just, yeah, I feel like it's interesting that it seems like art in Ireland, musically, visually, all these different facets, is kind of in this perpetual motion right now, and I wonder, how does it feel for you as someone who's in it? Yeah, like, it's just really weird, like, so I'm kind of on the most northerly tip of Ireland, I suppose, and the musical landscape is so different in Ireland from the, the north to the south, and I think it is because of the history and how we've grown up. So the south would have a lot of instances where they release a lot of pop music, you know, like, easy listening, non-offensive music where in the north that's not the case everything's quite emotional maybe darker and i don't know how to describe it i don't want to say more feeling because that's quite offensive to the southern artists but it just feels like there's more behind some of the northern artists um kind of music and i think it's because of those experiences um and northern ireland Obviously, it's 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 only a small part of Ireland, but the musical output is so left field compared to the south. 
you know, it's it's like we're not as commercial. We're not trying to get that big Ed Sheeran hat. We're 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 kind of just telling our own stories. Um, so I kind of feel like if there was a if there was a genre that was going to like ever be designed or a new genre or a really influential track, I always think it's going to come from the north because the south just seems to follow popularity and what what what's kind of you know in vogue with spotify i think for me definitely the interesting thing is going to come from the north of ireland musically um even the dance scene it's stronger in the north the rock scene's stronger in the north yet i suppose bands like um just trying to think of all them dublin kind of rock bands there at the minute um oh i can't remember their names but Obviously, Dublin's a bigger city, so it's easier for bands to break through because there's a bigger demographic. But yeah, like, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like Northern Ireland's going to do something great in the next couple of years. I think it's going to come from us. Uh, I think the South will continue to kind of replicate what's happening in England. It seems like that's what they're aligned with uh, musically. But yeah, like, it'll be interesting. <laughs> Thanks so much to Ryan for being part of this episode. And yeah, seriously make a mental note to check out that album Borders. I have a strong feeling you're going to love it. This last talk I have for you is a deeply important one and a fucking massive one really. Problem Patterns are a band of queer and non-binary identifying misfits from Belfast that truly embrace the latter descriptor above anything else. They're a group that makes in-your-face punk music that doesn't aim to appease you that actually aims to make you deal with the realities that women identifying and non-binary people deal with alike. There's one song in particular that encapsulates this perfectly, which is one of the many things we discuss within the episode. Additionally, we chat about the band's unique setup of not having a front person, and how everyone in the band switches roles to have their voices heard in equal measure. Honestly, this band fucking rips and you're going to fucking love them. Before we jump into it, you should know a few things. Problem Patterns will be releasing their debut album called Blouse Club on October 27th. They'll also be touring the UK supporting my friends in Dreamwife throughout October. Also, they'll be supporting my brothers and And So I Watch You From Afar on December 16th at Mandela Hall in Belfast. It's a show I'm very happy to say I'll be in attendance of. I cannot wait to see you there. Again, thank you so, so, so fucking much for listening to this. This has been the Passport Season of the New Exchange Podcast. So I think this is like the most people we have in one particular talk for this season. So I think we should do like a roll call so people can like know who's speaking. So we'll just pretend we're at school then, yeah? Hi, I'm Beth and I play drums in Problem Patterns. I am Bev with a V. There's Beth with a TH and Bev with a V. Okay. Um, I play guitar. I'm Alana with a TH and a V. <laughs> I sing, I sing and I play guitar and I play bass sometimes as well. Um, I am Kira. I am predominantly bass and there are no V's or THs in my name, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we have problem patterns. Um, <laughs> it has been, a pr- I could tell actually, like, it's been quite a busy summer for you a lot, uh, you know, festivals and all that. and. It's beautiful that you get to experience that after just like the last couple of years that we've all had. And, you know, I think a good way to start is 
you know, because it's like it's such a special thing. I wonder if you feel like there's any um, special memories that stand out to you of these last couple of months that you've kind of shared with each other, you know, like different experiences and that. I would say like our career highlight would be opening for La Tigra. But also one of my personal highlights was getting to go to Berlin together because it just ended up being like a really lovely weekend as like a holiday for everybody. The weather was perfect. There was just like great vibes all around as well as getting to go to this really cool punk festival um, and seeing a lot of my favorite bands that I never thought I would get to see from all over the world. And everyone was just lovely. Like meeting all the bands was great. And just like we went swimming on our days off. Like it was just a beautiful time and just like the perfect kind of summer like activity to do like over that <laughs> whole time. I, I don't know. It was just it was great. Um, so I would say that was definitely one of my highlights of all the touring we've done last oh, yeah. week. Yeah, we also like for me, like we got one week's notice of it, like being asked to play live on the BBC, like BBC Radio 6. Like, yeah. was it like a week and a half before they were like, can you come to Manchester? <laughs> and we I were like, so, yeah. And, <laughs> and I had a such... call that was possibly happening. <laughs> we like, Is it gonna happen? Do we know? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's such a cool fancy. Wow, that—that's. I mean, both of those are so amazing, and like, I love that the correlation. I mean, it struck out a lot to me, and like, um, when you're talking about Berlin there, but just in general, the fact that you get to have these experiences so intrinsically tied to music first and foremost. How amazing is that? It's like it's like nice to be shown that 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 could be the case you know oh yeah it was such a privilege um i just feel really lucky that we're able to have those experiences because that was our first time ever playing out the uk outside of the uk and ireland and berlin's one of my favorite places in the world and to be able to like go there with all my friends and play a show and again meet all these other really cool bands was just like a dream come true and yeah we just had such an amazing time and I'm just happy whenever we get to go anywhere new. Like I had never, actually, I'm, not, I'm trying to think. Is there anywhere I hadn't been that we hadn't been before? Um, Me and Kira had never been to Birmingham. That was it. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> there we didn't we didn't play a gig there, but we just flew into it, and it was that was a nice airport, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a historical um, city as well. We got to go on a monorail, which was genuinely more exciting to us than we would like to um, admit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If it, if it helps, if it helps, even though I'm in New York City, I will say that anytime I've been on a monorail before, I always find myself thinking about the Power Rangers movie because in the end of yes. it, it's like a big fight, the monorail. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> You're speaking my language, Freddy Morphin. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. legendary moments. Indeed. It's the best. Ivan Zeus and everything. No, oh, we're just, we're God. so lucky. Like, it's not, it's, I just feel so like grateful that I get to do this with my best mates like we never started this band to travel all over the world we started this band because we needed it and we were so like desperate for some kind of outlet following like horrible news and like even personal stuff the fact that people connect with what we do and we get to travel all over the place is is awesome yeah well I'm I'm really happy you said that bit there because you know, there are many reasons why I wanted to talk to you all. Um, and I'll just like go on a little bit, kind of like, you know, setting it up. It's like, because uh, my really good mate, uh, Kira McMullen, she put me onto your music. And uh, she's the first friend I made 
um, in Northern Ireland years and years ago. And um, yeah, yeah, she is. And like some background is that um, she put me on to a lot of bands way back in like 2009, 2010. And like the first band I knew personally was um, Tudor Cinema Club. And from them and Kira, I got to know of loads of other acts. Like, and I was in uni as well back then. So it was just like, ripe for my brain and um i found at the time that so much about what was going on in uh ireland and northern ireland was like so much more exciting than like here not just in new york but in the states and um i've really found myself falling in love with that scene and a lot of those bands but it's only on reflecting on it years later to be honest with you where i found myself recognizing that as special as that scene was it wasn't really wholly representative of the various voices of Northern Ireland, like the different people, especially from like a gender standpoint and like a binary, a binary standpoint. So I know it's a big way to start, but when you said that there about like reasons of starting the band, how you came together, do you feel like one of the reasons you found yourselves forming the band was almost like a thing of, I don't see this existing here, but I believe that it should. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was never in the scene before um, we formed Problem Patterns, so I can't speak on that, but I never really took an interest in local music, and I think that's probably because I was never represented in it. Um, And I think if growing up in Belfast, I had seen more bands like us, I probably would have taken an interest. Yeah, because I feel like even since we started, there's been a big upswing of, like, more gender diversity, which is great to see just even in the last few years. And I'm not saying necessarily that we started that, but it was absolutely, you see kind of younger folks that might be at our gigs and then they've gone off to start a band, which is fantastic. That's all we really want really is just kind of more voices and more experiences, not just, you know, one viewpoint across the board, just different people telling their stories. I think it's really important to us as well that if we see like fans up and coming that are like us, that we like are encouraging of that and that we like because we didn't have anyone like us on our way up that we, we feel like it's really important to do that going forward and just be like yeah come on like like we'll all do this together and like lend a hand and like I think it's really important to us as a band that we do that yeah that's it like we're not coming in here and being like no we're the only band allowed to do this <laughs> if we yeah. see other people starting it we're like yes please go ahead like like I said, with people coming to the gigs and stuff, we do get people who are like, oh my gosh, I wish I could start one, but like I could never. And I'm just like, please do it. Just do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, we're like a club car where we're like, keep getting in. Yeah. Bev, you're going to say something. Yeah? I was. Yeah. I was going to say, or people are like, oh yeah, I'm 25. I'm too old to start a band. And it's like, yeah, me and Bev are like, <laughs> 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 Oh yeah, we're not I was like, gonna say uh, other teenagers. Oh, we're not like other teenagers. We're in our thirties. <laughs> <laughs> but it speaks to what uh, like the the through line with everything that you all just said there is that like you know you have something to say, you have stories to tell, and like you know it makes sense how there was a period in which you didn't see yourselves represented. But I think the important thing to note in that is that now that you're doing it, and now that you've been doing it for a while it kind of shows how there was no reason why a band like yours shouldn't exist or like why these stories shouldn't be told. Like there's a place for them just by the nature of you being humans and wanting to do it. Yeah, exactly. There is. I'm not going to lie though. It is hard. <laughs> like yeah, it yeah. is hard. Yeah. It's 
it's we, hard whenever especially we are maybe accused of being booked for reasons that are solely not to do with any of our talent and just to fill a, a gender gap on the bill or whatever yeah and sometimes it kind of feels like people don't think we've earned our spot whenever we've been actually kicking our asses for the last five years to make any kind of name for ourselves and make music that we like and we're very like cautious as well because we can tell see if someone who hasn't worked with us before uh you can kind of always tell when someone's just trying to throw in a band like us onto their lineup to make it seem as if they care about that kind of thing like we can always Mm. sniff it out and we don't work with those people we work with people who are actively encouraging a better community we don't you know we we've gotten pretty good at figuring out like who's doing it for real and who's trying to associate with different people for like to make themselves look better so important like i'm glad to know that's you know very front and center of your minds because yeah it's just like it's weird to think that some people might try to like utilize like good morals as a basis of like seeming cool but it's like no we're talking about real life like it's like what are you even doing in that regard yeah exactly yeah do do, do you remember because i'm always fascinated about this when it comes to musicians do you remember when you realized that you had something special as a band because being in a band and having a shared vision and an ability to play together well is like it speaks to what you're saying you know like it's huge and it's rare and it's difficult to find i'm curious like i'm almost curious if maybe it was a thing where you found yourselves walking away from like an early practice or like a hang and thinking to yourselves like oh damn i like love what i have with these people like do you think you remember an experience like that i remember specifically the moment i felt like oh wow like this is really happening because like we had played quite a few gigs uh by the time we put out an ep but at our actual ep launch night um we had all our friends show up um we had a prom theme so we were all dressed up and i was like that's really nice like people actually like you know went with the theme and dressed up and everyone looks amazing and it was when we were playing um our song day and age where Kira's on vocals and the EP had only come out that day and otherwise they would only like the audience would only know this from the time they had seen us the handful of times before that um and I just remember like playing bass and looking out into the audience and everyone was singing along like the song had only been out for that day and everyone was singing along to it and I was just like oh my like they actually really took the time to like listen to this and learn this (laughs) to sing it back at us and like obviously that's more of like you know we've kind of gotten used to that now which is I mean I always still think it's amazing when everyone (laughs) I'm not used to it (laughs) (laughs) but that was like the first that was the first time I'd seen that Wow. because you know it is a catchy song but it was just like it was that was like a real moment of like oh my gosh this is like a proper band this isn't like a little hobby yeah I think for me, it was whenever we came back from uh, like the lockdown and stuff when we started writing our album. And you were all just so good. I like all the songs we wrote, watching you all like get to the front and like sing lyrics and completely shred your instruments and like just play with the ferocity of like a thousand songs. I was just like, oh, this is the coolest band ever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but just like watching everybody like rotate and just completely nail it with no qualms just not even being like 
I don't know if I can. It was just like boom, and I was like, oh shit! Like this is like <laughs> definitely something extremely cool and like amazing. I think like I think we don't realize sometimes that like we actually like completely swap instruments with the seamlessness, and that that's actually really impressive. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and like, I don't. It's like everyone hates picking themselves up, but I think that was when I was like, oh my god, like we really can do something special. Yeah, I think I, oh, I love you too. Um, I think like I think like up until that point, it was kind of like I kind of always call you guys like my band wives, and yeah. like <laughs> and like up until that point, maybe we were like band dating. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah no these are like family Aww. that's so that's amazing so <laughs> no one tells you what it's like being like in a band with people for so long the bond is not like anything you've ever experienced with other people because you're like co-workers life partners like business partners, like best friends, like it's a lot of different it's, things. It's really, it's a people. weird dynamic. I mean, we, we've yeah. been a band for nearly as long as I've been with my fiance, so it's like <laughs> that's so weird. So I've had like, and it is, it's, it is kind of like a romantic relationship. It's like being married to people. It's like you have to call each other out on their bullshit and maybe work on your own shit to make sure that you're not being the problem in the van and it's just mm. it's hard like but it it is it's very worthwhile very worth can it. you please roll over your snoring <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of we funny we do share beds a lot well, <laughs> it, it's funny like because that last bit you said there i remember i was talking to a friend of mine recently and we we're kind of like just talking about relationships in general just about like the like it sounds almost kind of weird to say it, but kind of like the function they have in your life as like an individual. And my friend put it very like um, beautifully. And I kind of think this speaks to what you're talking about in the function of being a band, where it's like, if you think about it, as you progress through life and society, one of the big things a relationship could do for you is point out your blind spots because you're forced to just be going, going, going in life. And it's like, you'll end up developing blind spots or like more of a tenacity to avoid them. I take, I, I remember that conversation. I think about what you just said and it's kind of like, yeah, being in a band, you have like three different ways where your blind spots can't be like ignored really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and because we spend so much time together, we travel together, which is already stressful. Um, yeah. We end up for money sharing hotel rooms and stuff that we're just in each other's pockets. So it's, always natural like in any good relationship you'll have disagreements and I think we've done pretty damn well for the last five years to still be a band <laughs> yeah I love when I get to say this because I know it always elicits some type of like interesting facial reaction but believe it or not Belfast is one of my favorite places on earth beyond like the people that I know I think one of the things that I've connected to a lot over the years is the way that music kind of permeates everywhere and it's very much in the fabric of the place and i was curious because it's like you know you've gotten to play more shows as time has gone on the way you describe that ep launch is a really a great example of what i'm even thinking about because i wonder how you would describe the connection with audiences and the way 
Northern Ireland in itself is unique to that because I mean I could only speak of course about having lived in like America and um England but like I could honestly say like these places don't have that that Northern Ireland has it's like this almost indescribable thing to me I think it's um the local scene is very community based because it's such a small city everyone knows each other like even there's bands I wouldn't necessarily listen to but like we all kind of would like you'd spot each other know like what everyone's kind of up to and um it's quite nice in that way that like you know we will usually be at each other's shows like a lot of the local gigs it's mostly like the audience will be made up of other bands a lot of the time um and yeah there's a lot of nice support like you do see when like a band does get certain opportunities and you know they've worked really hard for them and everyone's just kind of cheering them on here like obviously there'll be a little like pockets of people that might be jealous and then there's other pockets where they might have um some money to you know get a fancy booking agent and skip ahead of everybody in the queue but they like for the most part i would say the community is very supportive and like encouraging of each other and it's very reflective in like the local gigs you'd go to here. Everyone's just yeah. cheering each other on. And from yeah. different like different creative backgrounds as well. Yeah, I think what like as well what you're saying about like music being kind of in the fabric of Northern Ireland um is especially true for punk music. Um because there's been such like a rich history of um people basically using punk music as a way for them to survive through the troubles and and stuff and I think people like we would get a lot of older people who obviously had lived through the troubles come to our gigs and like absolutely love it which is amazing to us um because obviously we we do love all of those OG Belfast punk bands mm-hmm. um but it, it's really nice to hear how much you love Belfast because I've lived in Belfast my entire life and my fiance is from Oklahoma and she moved here like oh. two years ago and she also loves it. Um, but I think a lot of her family were like, why the hell are you moving there? <laughs> yeah. So it's nice that you, you're you like repping Belfast outside of it. The way people in Belfast have made me feel welcome over the years is something that I find indescribable, especially when I compare it to other places I've like um, visited over the years. I feel like I definitely know exactly what you mean, because I'm not actually from Belfast. I like grew up between England and Canada. And I've said this before and like I've said this to the band as well, but I feel like I have been involved in multiple music communities, but it always felt more of like a fly on the wall situation where I was like kind of just witnessing, but not that involved, even though I would always try to be. But I just never had that sense of community until I moved to Belfast. And it was through like being in problem patterns and through meeting people in the music community here that actually feel like I'm part of something. And Belfast has been so warm and welcoming to me since the day I moved here. That's amazing. Like, yeah, that's exactly, that speaks exactly to what I'm thinking. And, oh, you know, it's interesting. So in the context of like this podcast, right, I usually go out of my way to not really talk much about current events unless it's like somewhat relevant. And like, um, I rarely like go, I mean, politics come up by the nature of like people existing and being, you know, just humans in this thing that we call life. But, you know, it's not a particularly overtly political show. But 
I bring this up more. I'm curious about bringing this up to have more of a wider conversation and only if you guys would feel comfortable with it. I'm curious if you heard about the recent stuff with Rosen Murphy, the musician. Rosen yeah. Murphy, yeah. 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 Um, not great. Yeah. It's, it's really also not funny. great that she, her statement was basically, she didn't offer any kind of trans lives matter, trans rights, whatever. She just basically was like, I'm backing out of this conversation, even though she had ma- like hundreds of turfs like piggybacking onto her statement and had kind of milked the gay, like the LGBTQ community for yeah. years yeah. To, to like fill out her shows. So yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a kick in the teeth, like. Yeah, but also you, not surprising. Yeah. I'm not surprised by any cis woman nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you did a really good job breaking it down. I'll just like set it up a little bit because there is something I wanted to ask particularly about this with you lot is that like, yeah, Roshan Murphy like essentially made stupid comment on Facebook. It went viral. And uh, sh- well, the, I think the most egregious, well, there's numerous egregious things about it. But like for context of what makes it so insidious, of course, beyond the nature of just the post itself is that it was a stupid post that really was just like completely ignorant to trans people and what they go through and just very disgusting honestly and then there was like you know it went viral and i think it took four or five days for her to make a statement and then it was like a statement she, she clearly wrote herself and it is it's kind of funny for me personally I, I sometimes find myself trying to think about a person's headspace when they're in a situation like this, even when I disagree with them. But reading a statement like that was just really gross because, I mean, like you said, she didn't apologize or offer anything up, really. And then at the very end, she said, I'm going to like remove myself from the conversation. I'm going to go fishing. And what you said there about cis women, I mean, just cis people in general, it's just it's kind of rich that. Like, just kind of... Yeah. Yeah, trans people don't get just like just get out of the conversation and go fishing. Like they that's their lives every single day. Like you don't get to take a day off when you're in the LGBTQ plus community. Like we don't get to take a day off. It's always there. And yeah. for as a person with no you know, with with no eggs in the basket of being trans in any way to just say, Oh, this conversation's bothering me now, I'm gone. Like <laughs> you can't you don't fucking get to do that <laughs> yeah exactly it's it's basically like uh this is inconveniencing me now because i look bad also it was my private personal facebook page and like that was private like she just seemed more annoyed about that like her you know personal yeah that it was outed. her private page yeah this is like basically the exact trajectory that jk Rowling went on she yeah. made a stupid turf comment and instead of being like, oh shit, I didn't understand. I should go and educate myself. I apologize. She doubled down. And now look where we are. So I highly hope that this doesn't happen with Roisin Murphy. That would be a massive shame. But it also wouldn't totally surprise me if it did. I only ever heard about her because of drag queens. Like drag queens going on. I'm fairly certain like Mayhem Miller or something was always like, that's my absolute favorite number one of all time. Like I only ever knew about her because of the queer community. And then she's just like, uh, I'm going to completely betray you all now. Yeah. I did see that her record label like pulled funding or something, though, because the proceeds were going to go to trans charities or something. What yeah. Was that about? And they did. They, That's they good. dropped her and then donated to trans charities. I uh, love to see it. 
Yeah. You reap what yeah. you sow, don't you, Roshin? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, the, like, I am going to, like, get to a question, but I just want to say, because you brought up J.K. Rowling, because there's this weird section of people who will say they care about queer people and trans people, but also find themselves disagreeing with the cancellation of J.K. Rowling. Whenever that comes up, I always feel it's so important to stress to people because like you know it's recent enough where you can remember things i remember when that initially started the first thing that people did especially queer people was immediately attempting to educate her from a place of like empathy from a place of like hey you said some weird things you probably don't understand so let's actually have a dialogue here that was like the initial thing and then she doubled down and became very strange and then turned it into this very abrasive shitty thing so like where people like to immediately say there's like this kind of thing of pitchforks going no there was this very clear example of people going out of their way to educate where quite frankly they shouldn't have to when they're just trying to exist and that's what makes the roshin thing very um you know disappointing as well because it's just like you very clearly saw that as an experience and it's just like what what's even happening here yeah it, it gets so frustrating when it's like the very people who are being attacked that like you know it they shouldn't have to educate people it shouldn't be down to them to teach people but they still have that empathy that they want to try and have people you know see it through a different light and just be more understanding and it's just i just hate it so much that you know someone like jk just doesn't even like again she just doubles down she doesn't take any of the help she's being offered just goes more and more into that hole and it's like all the it's a social media media echo chamber as well because yeah. she just sees positive responses to what she says and thinks that she's right and exactly. the fact like speaking as a as a lesbian like she constantly brings up lesbians about how they're victims of trans women and stuff and it's but but she's a straight woman like i just don't what does she know about it i've never been felt threatened by a trans woman ever oh shut up jk <laughs> No, exactly. Like people like, and I've got a Harry Potter tattoo, and I hate my life. Oh, I need to get rid of. (laughs) There's, there's people like her and like Parker Posey, um, that try to say they're standing up for women, they're standing up for lesbian women and stuff. But then when things like are actually happening to women, say like the fact that you know we've got such a a high femicide rate here in Northern Ireland, they do nothing about that. They have nothing to say about that. They have nothing to say about the women being murdered on the streets. They have nothing to say about their rights being taken away, about, um, you know, lesbians having their rights as parents taken away in some countries. Nothing about that. But apparently they're protecting them. But it's like they have yeah. nothing. They never say anything about any of that. It's only when there's some made up story about a trans woman in a bathroom. And it, that's I just. I, I hate that that's such a constant narrative because I'm just like, do you really think some creep's going to let a door with a sign with a, <laughs> a woman with a dress keep him from doing anything? Yeah. I've oh, he's going to walk up to the bathroom yeah. and be like, oh, well, the sign says only women. So I'll, <laughs> I'll exactly. put on a I've, I've, I've been to the bathroom, I'd say, probably every day of my life for 28 years. <laughs> Roughly at least once. And not one of those times has a trans woman ever attacked me. I just want to say that. <laughs> or, or made me feel creepy. But I'd say that probably every day a man has <laughs> made me feel weird in some way. And it's just like, yeah. the facts are there. Well, there, there's a reason why I brought this up. 
And it's directly tied to the fact that your music, to me, and I think to many people who listen to it, I feel like it stands on as a pillar of speaking out against these things that we've discussed for like the last couple of minutes. Because, you know, like, I think about like, essentially, like, you know, discussing ignorance and the dominance of it and the way it just kind of finds and seeps itself. And I feel like your music does a really brilliant job at like looking it in the face and just really like, ha- you know, making the presence known of what the ignorance is against. And, you know, we have this ignorance here in the States. I know it's there in the UK, having gone back quite a bit. And I know it's a heavy thing, but how is it, you know, as a unit, right? Like as the four of you being this band, being together, how has it felt seeing this ignorance you know, coming about, especially like in Ireland, because it's interesting, like Ireland now to me is so different than it was even 10 years ago. But of course, these things still exist. I wonder like how it feels amongst you a lot. I think that like our whole, our music is for us, first and foremost, that's the reason that we write it. And maybe we have a situation where we were, we were made to feel uncomfortable by somebody and then we didn't speak up in that situation then writing a song about it is kind of our way of taking that power and essentially speaking up in that situation. And songs like explicitly like Turfs Out have a very clear message and we're clearly telling you what they what they're about. Um but maybe something such as Day and Age, which is about being harassed, is where like that's kind of just our our catharsis and a way of dealing with those situations that are frequent. And maybe becoming more and more frequent in in kind of more modern times. Yeah, like I don't. Sorry, I was gonna say like I'm not always good with confrontation, and it's been something I've like been work like you know working on in terms of being more direct with people. But necessarily, uh, sorry, specifically in terms of confrontation, I feel like I'm at my best when I'm doing it in the band I think like the band makes me a bit more brave and a lot more articulate um because I'm kind of one of those people where like perhaps in a situation I don't you know I, I'll leave the situation later and be like oh I should have said this and then I end up writing a song about it yeah yeah uh, letter of resignation was sort of like the verses are like what I want to say to street preachers who are like spotting hate on the street and like yeah that frustration around the hypocrisy. Well, I, I feel very grateful that just a couple minutes ago there, you were like bringing up songs that were in relation to like, you know, the stuff we were talking about, because I feel like when it's all said and done, um, YAW is going to be a defining song of the band. And it, it was my entryway and it continues uh, to be a song I love returning to. Um, I'd love to hear about the conversations, if any, that led to the creation of that song, because it's like, it's very blunt, but... Mm to come together as a band and make that i wonder what that was like um it was just after um a few well there's some lines in it that actually went back to like when i was living in london and i had been um well it's weird because it was like i was technically attacked but like it was such a soft attack so i like it's weird like i just a guy like knocked the headphones off my head and like hit my head and i was like you know, uh-huh. it was like right near my home and like I had to get like my housemate and it freaked out and um I just remember like after that being really paranoid and like always having my keys out and stuff. And um so I'd like written a few lines and that was like almost ten years ago now. And then 
kind of with lockdown and everything and this kind of um you know there's a lot of stories over here about this higher rate in terms of like uh, abuse um of you know men towards their partners um and a lot of femicide like i said earlier um there's a really high rate of femicide in northern ireland specifically so that it is the it has the highest rate in western europe out of any country of um femicide and specifically by you know partners um but also by random men on the streets unfortunately and um you know it just felt like we were constantly you know seeing the news of another uh, another woman being named dead and specifically this was after we had come out of lockdown we wanted to write more music and there was a very big case in England uh, a woman called Sarah Everard yeah just kind of one bit of news after the other and we just and put she all was this kidnapped together. by a policeman as yeah. well that was it yeah. too like because that yeah that what <clears throat> that's what really triggered the line about like who do we call for help because her whole thing was she was kidnapped by a policeman and yeah. she ended up dead I remember that story very well because um, I follow the news of the UK quite a bit because I still have like some friends and family there and it was a very depressing thing. Sorry, not to stop. I just wanted to add this bit was like about like how the police and pretty much the city of London denied the any police involvement for like a couple weeks and then it slowly steadily was revealed that it was a police officer and obviously they knew the whole time they were just trying to figure out how and when to tell people and it was just very gross very gross and disappointing and he had he in the past as well he had like exposed himself to women and stuff and still kept his job yeah and because he's yeah. just what? exposed what himself really isn't you would keep your job for that yeah i know and even <clears throat> excuse me um even since then there's been like a whole investigation into the London police because there was like a whole thing of like WhatsApp chats being leaked and it was all really horrible stuff about like women, <laughs> like just all kinds of stuff being and people of color and immigrants yeah. and everything. Uh, just basically everything horrible. And yeah, it just became a, a whole kind of, you know, like it's just constant thing in the news as well, still. Um, like, you know, the Sarah Everard thing was one of the bigger kind of stories because, you know, she was missing for a few days before the news came out about what happened to her. But um, like I said, especially here, it is every kind of few weeks, every month that like another woman has been found. And, you know, it's it's constant. Like I, I've said this quite a few times, but like we're at like vigils every few months a uh, couple of times a year it's just like how many times can you go to these things and hold a candle and like sing for these women like where nothing's going to change like it's it's hard to think that something might change that's where a lot of our anger comes from because you want to be hopeful and you want to especially be hopeful for your younger friends and your younger family and the you know the younger girls in your life and you want them to have a safe and happy future but you're just like, again, you keep putting on the news and like opening up Twitter and hearing things. And you're just like, it's just constant. It's just a constant barrage of horrible events. And yet nothing's being done. Um, our government is failing us. Our police fail us all the time. 
I really appreciate you sharing all that. Like, there's some things I want to say, but I just want to get, like, one big thing out that, I mean, in the context of what you're talking about with the femicide and, like, the, um, you know, women dealing with partners, I mean, respectfully, it's like we're talking about a country of, like, just about four million people and i think that should seep into people's brains that like what do we like yeah that's that's one of the scariest things is it you know northern ireland is a very small country and there's a lot of well i say say values in quotes but like old-fashioned kind of things that are still deeply ingrained into the society here And, you know, there's a lot of rampant misogyny and it starts from a lower level and goes all the way to the top of that pyramid. And, you know, if men aren't calling out their peers on these little things, then they're going to keep thinking that certain other things are fine to do. And it just builds up until ultimately, you know, violence. There's also a real significant amount of generational trauma in Northern Ireland um, because of the troubles and Northern Ireland has one of the highest rates of suicide for men mm-hmm. um, in Europe as well. So I think there's got to be some kind of link there in that our young men are just not being, they just don't have the right support systems or they're just not being brought up with the correct values or something. But I mean, that's where even the song, like Alana, has the lyrics hit are incredible. And, and there's a lot of rebukes to arguments that come out whenever women are killed of like, oh, well, not all men do that. or um like as you say oh what would you do if this was your sister or your your girlfriend or your mom like it shouldn't matter that 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 that's the reason that that person oh they deserve to die because of that it's just crazy um so yeah I think Northern Ireland we've got a lot of healing to do (laughs) yeah I, I feel a lot of gratitude that I got to be chatting with the four of you right now in relation to this about this song in particular I do have to ask you a lot about one more thing because Funny enough, I'm surprised I didn't bring this up right at the top, but I think it's a very important thing to bring up about your band. Your band technically doesn't have a front person, and I read how the idea of that has been that you started this so you could all switch roles and instruments, but also to ensure that everyone's voice could be heard. Um, I've been around a lot of bands in my life. I I feel very fortunate I got to say that. This is the first time I've heard of that. yeah, it sounds simple, but I but yeah, before we go, I'd love to hear about how you found that in practice and if it's a decision you find to be more important as time goes on. For sure, it has become more important as it's gone on because when we did start, it was like kind of originally Kira and I were trying out our old job being like we both want to be in a band, but like we both want to sing and then like when we got together, like I don't think Beth or Bev really had, you know, much plans of doing that. And we were like swapping about in terms of, like, yeah, <laughs> like we just, they like eventually had kind of built up more confidence to do so. I'm really grateful for it because they've really come out swinging. <laughs> I think it keeps everything um, interesting as well. Like people watch our shows and don't really know what they're going to see. And of course, like there is the, like, it is important to us because we all have different perspectives and everybody has different feelings about things and we all want to talk about them but it also just keeps it fun it keeps it really exciting for us and you kind of um we all cheer each other on and and I I sing on one of our latest singles and I every time we were doing it in practice I was shitting myself I was terrified I was like I'm never going to sing this song 
and now I get up and do it every night whenever we perform and and I I would never have done that if I hadn't seen Karen Alana and Bev fronting the band um because I was like safe behind my drums like I'm never venturing out there um but now I feel like I I can and, and what I have to say is important and I should be out the front too like whether it's front in the band or like taking up an instrument like watching your bandmate just go for something really fearlessly is inspiring like I think we inspire each other like whenever I see like you know like Beth and like go to the front for the first time or whatever it's like okay well then I can do something that's kind of scary in the band too because like she's just going and doing that and she was also petrified and vice versa and it's like it's really inspiring just to watch the other members of the band be like, ah, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to give shredding on the fucking <laughs> bass girl, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, why not? And then you're like, well, then we should all be able to do whatever. And like, it feels genuinely so lovely to know that everybody in the band is bringing their thoughts, their feelings, their opinions, and like their whole heart about stuff, you know? And like when we were writing the album, we get to like be like this album is entirely the opinions of us four you know what I mean like our whole album is like we all thought of all those things and in a way then we collab because we don't just like always just one but like Alana and Bev wrote who do we not save together and stuff and it's even cooler because it's like sometimes when two people have the same idea for a song we just smoosh them together <laughs> and make a <laughs> mega song and then that's really cool because like if Alana had to just sing it or if Bev had to just sing it, they probably would have been two completely different songs. It's so cool that, yeah, we'll just put them together sometimes. So we like collab within the band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> we're, like a, a, we're like a music collective. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I shared this right before we hit the recorder, but yeah, I'll be meeting you guys in December because I'm coming to Belfast for like Christmas and New Year's and that. And you're opening for my friends. And so I watch you from far. The plan. They don't know oh, this yet. Yeah. I haven't told them. But I'm planning on flying out here in New York on the 15th, getting to Ireland on the 16th and uh, taking the bus from Dublin up and then just like getting to the show to surprise them. I've done that to them oh, once yeah. before. Oh, that's so cool. cool. You'll be wrecked. Oh, I, I, oh, yeah. I'll be wrecked. The, well, this is hilarious. I'll be wrecked the next day. I'll be on full adrenaline like that yeah. night. And then the Adrenaline next day, mode, yeah. it'll just be like, don't talk to me. But like, I love those guys. They're like <laughs> brothers and like, the, what a great bill. Yeah. That's going to be They amazing. are really Yeah, the yeah they're so nice. Oh. Uh, so yeah, they let us stay also... at their parents' house. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're good folks. Yeah, yeah we, we played we... a big show where um there was, uh, did you ever go to the Atlantic in Portrush? No, not yet, but I've heard amazing things about it. Yeah, they did a big farewell show because that's where they would have all grown up and we were lucky enough to support it. Yeah. And um, it was genuinely amazing because it was getting to see them in this really intimate venue, which they would never really get to play these days. Like yeah. a proper packed out, like sweaty bar. Um, the sweatiest gig ever, really. <laughs> it was class the mosh pit was the best like oh, i've ever been in probably uh, i also accidentally brought kira's glasses into the mosh pit and got them destroyed kira <laughs> i'm not ready to talk about that yet i was like kira doesn't look amused <laughs> whatsoever you're lucky i've got my cool new um oh, <laughs> oh my god oh. oh hello missy missy just came into the frame <laughs> hey missy oh i love her oh, she's hilarious There's- uh, my cat's called Noodles. We call her Nunu. 
Oh. Is she here? No, no. No, no. Yeah, you Missy know, got, got this name. Missy amazing. got this name apart from my love of Missy Elliott. When I adopted her, um, her original name was Miso. And funny oh. enough, yeah, which is a cute name, which is a cute name. But in the context of where I'm at, Brooklyn, I know four other Miso. So I was like, yeah, that's not going to work. Oh. <laughs> oh, she's so cute. Uh, I well, feel so gorgeous. Guys, I really do appreciate this. This was really lovely. And yeah, looking forward to meeting you and just like... Yeah, it's going to be great to meet you. Yeah, we can't wait to meet you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say break a leg. Are you supposed to still say break a leg? Like if I say break a leg now, yeah, does it carry over to December? Or do I have to say it again? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you can we have a couple of gigs before then, so... <laughs> okay, well, I hope you guys break a couple legs. <laughs> <laughs> there goes the so-